you're never yeah. going to achieve any additional ounce of freedom from external change. You'll right. perceive freedom in the moment to moment based off of how much freedom you allow yourself to perceive. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. We've got our honorary guest, Mr. Aaron Abke, with us again today. How you doing? Good to be back with you, bro. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. Stoked to have you. In today's episode, we're going to be wrapping up our How the Matrix Was Created series. We've done so far two versions of this, and we're going to be wrapping up the third and final version today. And once again, this is just one sub-series of our macro series that me and Aaron are filming back and forth on each of our distinct channels on YouTube under the name The Rabbit Hole. So definitely make sure to check out our other videos in this series as the entire series is governed around this notion of taking you guys deeper into some of these concepts that are typically referred to as rabbit holes. So a quick little recap for you guys. If you haven't seen episode one and episode two, definitely pause this video and go watch those first. Each series builds on itself. So by now we're on the last one. We're going to be getting into our three last systems out of the nine that we referenced in the last two videos. We did three, three, and now we're doing our final three. So in order for you to get the most clarity out of our teachings, definitely watch those first. But a quick run through of what the nine major systems are to recap and catch us up. So we've got our basic needs and survival system, if you will, which comprises of things like food, air, water, shelter, and energy. You've got our news and entertainment systems, which comprises of things like media, movies, culture, and Hollywood. You've got our money supply, our currency, and our banking systems. You've got our whole workforce, job, and education system, which is going to be 
basically standardized education is what we now refer to it. And there's two sides of that. There's the feeding the education system. There's the education system itself. And then there's the part of the education system that feeds the workforce and how those two are interconnected. Then we've got institutionalized healthcare, which is basically our health system, if you will. And then our last four, we've got churches, religious books, and basically the word of God throughout time. That is kind of our spiritual and religious system. And that was the last little system that we went into before wrapping up part two. So that brings us up to date for today. And what we're going to be diving into today for our three systems is going to be number one, this notion of a two-party, what they refer to as bipartisan political system. We're going to be getting into courts, statutes, and legislation, which is what we typically refer to as our legal system. And we're going to be getting into our prison system and basically the systems that incarcerate people and a little bit deeper of how that actually works and how that plugs in and works in synergy with some of these other systems. So before we dive in, anything you want to add to that, Aaron? Anything you want to preface? Just going to say, safe to say that we save the juiciest three for last, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we'll get into. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. So as far as our two-party bipartisan political system, the first thing I want to address here is that as far as I'm concerned, the notion of having a political system in a modernized society accomplishes one main thing above all else, and that is the illusion of choice. Yeah. You have to give a large body of people, especially when this large body of people is ruled over by a very select few, which we talked about in our last episode, kind of the minority ruling the majority. There's things you have to do to not be overthrown and have the people realize. So, the political system is really giving the masses this illusion of choice. And people get all tangled up in identifying with these words and colors, if you understand what I'm saying. They get tied up with either being red or being blue, either being that direction or that direction. (laughs) And they start to express and act out their more um, animalistic, tribal, lower drives, which we all have in us. But the thing is, is that the more we identify ourselves with these systems, And the more we volunteer into them, not only are we giving away our rights for privileges, but we're also kind of, it's really easy to get swept up. I don't know if you ever voted, Aaron, but there was a time when I thought that my vote mattered. And what I have come to learn since then is that the political system is not put in place. Well, let me put it this way. It's so common. Like how often do we hear, Aaron, the system is broken. It's a very common thing for people to say. Every day. Yeah. I don't believe that to be true. I think that the system works exactly how it is meant to work. I don't think that it's broken. I think it's quite high octane, actually. Yeah, it's actually incredibly put together. I think that it's actually humans that are flawed. And so that it's that subtle difference of perspective that I'm kind of getting at. When we talk about voting and such, people get this sense of thinking that the political system is there to aggregate everyone's beliefs and opinions and votes. And then whatever's the majority believes, whatever's that will be the fairest decision. And that person will go on to get elected. I think 2020 
showed a lot of people that that may not be the case. <laughs> what do you think, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, you know, this is such an interesting topic because when you say the system is broken, you know, we could say that's true from one context of how our founding fathers intended our system to work. Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that the founding fathers did not intend for us to have a two-party system. Right. I think that they actually would have wanted to prevent that if they thought that was going to happen. And the way that this evolved is actually really interesting to look at as well, because we have now, at least in the States, and this is true you know, in Canada and Europe and England, Democrats, Republicans, essentially, liberals, conservatives. But in America, we call it Democrat, Republican. Now, what does our preamble say? It says, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It doesn't say, and to the democracy for which it stands. Now, why? Because we don't ever hear our country, our governmental system referred to as a republic, right? Mm. It's always democracy, democracy. And then you have that viral clip where it's like Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, like all these world leaders, news outlets, news anchors. This is incredibly dangerous to our democracy during COVID. This is incredibly dangerous to our democracy. It was that tagline that the, the deep state ushered all around the world. And there's been a slow, gradual process of trying to get the public to forget how our government was established as a republic, not a democracy. There's some room for, for democratic rule in our governmental system the way our fathers intended it to be, but it was primarily supposed to be a republic, not a democracy. And for those of you who don't know what the difference is, we could boil it down to this. Democracy is essentially mob rule, meaning whatever the consensus opinion is, is what gets passed into law. And a republic is law governed or law ruled, meaning we set these laws and they are unbreakable for all of time, no matter what, in every circumstance, we follow the law, not what people think. So if public opinion changes, too bad, we have these laws. Now you could say there's pros and cons to both of these, but in my estimation, a democracy is far more easily controllable and manipulatable than a republic is. Because all you got to do is sway public opinion and you can do whatever you want. Whereas to change a law that's been put in place is basically impossible. And so a good example of this would be, let's imagine you go to a mall and you're going to rob this rich guy you see walking through the mall. You're going to go put him at gunpoint, take his wallet. Now you do this and uh, 10 people in the mall see you do it. And then they go report you immediately to the police, right? And say, hey, that guy just stole his wallet. That's against the law. You can't do that. You go to jail. That's a republic system of government. The law says thou shalt not steal, period, right? Now let's rerun this scenario under democracy. Under a democratic system of government, we can say that I go up to these 10 people in the mall beforehand and I say, hey guys, come here, gather around. There's going to be a millionaire walking in in about five minutes and I'm going to hold him at gunpoint and take his wallet from him. And then I'm going to split the profits evenly amongst the 10 of us. Y'all cool with that? And they say, yeah, sounds great. And then the guy walks in, I put him at gunpoint, steal his wallet, divvy the profits. We all leave happy. Now, that's what can happen in a democracy because mob rule. We all agreed it was okay because we're all going to benefit from it. So we we were okay to steal his property. So now we have the system called Democrats and Republicans. And over the last 100 plus years, they've slowly changed the language of how they talk about our government and our system from republic to democracy. And again, we're not a democracy for very good reason. One of the reasons is now we see the way our Congress has evolved to be this total monopoly of power 
where like you've said on past episodes, Jeremy, they can just go into a secret room and write up a giant 6,000 page bill that says whatever they want it to say, walk in, vote on it, pass it, done. The people don't get to review it. The people don't get to decide if it passes or fails. Only those you know senators and congressmen do. And that's because now it's mob rule, right? So they can pass laws that totally violate common law, constitutional rights, and all this stuff because we've decided collectively that we're okay with it. Now, of course, we haven't. It's just that the balance of power has shifted so much and so slowly before our slowly. eyes that we didn't even see it happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you just brought a few things to mind that I want to clarify. First things first, when I was prefacing that voting does not actually do anything, I want to clarify. I'm not saying, I'm not one of those people that thinks that literally all of it is smoke and mirrors, like there is no voting. Here's what I'm kind of insinuating. And I don't know, you know, what year this happened. That'd be an interesting thing to see and kind of study what has changed since then. But somewhere along the line, politics and lobbying, another way of saying this is politics and commercial business became synergistic. And nowadays, the political system that we have, so like, for example, when Aaron's talking about how the Congress and Senate work, the political system that we have, a senator's job and a congressman's job is far more about marketing, branding, and lobbying than it is anything else. You can even hear congressmen talk about this. It's not like anything controversial. The majority of, if there's 365 days in a year, I've heard some of them estimate 200 days of the year, they're traveling, networking, doing meetings, lobbying, etc. Most of their job is trying to aggregate funds to pass their agendas. And guess mm -hmm. what? If you're not the one donating funds, you don't have a say in that agenda and it's very likely not going to benefit you. And if you do, it's the inverse of that. So when I say, you know, the whole voting system is somewhat of a sham, if you will, I'm not necessarily insinuating that, you know, like every vote just goes in the trash or something and nothing ever happens. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily that deep. I do think that something occurs. But what I know is that whoever has the most money to put into the campaign wins. Money wins. So that is the issue we now have. And that's why when Aaron's talking about a democracy, that's why this stuff has gotten more and more dangerous. Because if we can now just use money to get who we want into the position we want them in, and now because we gave them so much money, we have dirt on them. Now we can just control them kind of Machiavellian style because we have leverage over them. And a lot of politicians make this mistake where they'll accept the donations because they want to win so bad and they don't realize what they sold, aka their soul, <laughs> in order to have that money backing them that wasn't theirs. And then once they get into office, then it becomes a thing of, you know, more money gets pumped into further or speed along or silence certain bills. And then money gets passed along to push through certain bills. And, you know, a really easy example of this, like modern day is for those of you who keep up with crypto, the whole Sam Bankman freed thing with mm -hmm. FTX and all of that. So I don't know if you've seen this, Aaron, but I was watching the um, Patrick Bet David podcast the other day. I don't know if you know who that is, but yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's really good. Just 
free speech, right? He'll have on anyone from any side and have an actual conversation. Imagine that. So I really value the discourse. And they were bringing up some information about, obviously, we know SBF, the guy behind the FTX issue. And if you don't know what that is, all you need to do is type in FTX to Google. I'm not going to waste my time getting into that. (laughs) Uh, It's probably the biggest, it's like the second biggest financial fraud since Bernie Madoff. So you've probably heard of it. Yeah. Let me try to make sure I don't butcher this. Billions of dollars in everyday mom and pop retail investors like you and me trusted FTX, which was this crypto brokerage, with their money. And so they put their money into FTX. FTX also owned a sub brokerage, just think of it that way, called Alameda. When you would put your money into FTX, FTX would send that money to Alameda, which was already completely fraudulent and illegal. (laughs) It'd be like if you bank with Chase, you put your money into Chase and they're over here sending it over to Bank of America and you're like, what? That was not in the contract. (laughs) That's totally fraudulent. I want my money back. And then they're like, oh, sorry, it's not there. (laughs) It's not on our balance sheet anymore. So, okay. So they would send it over Alameda. Both of them were reporting it on their balance sheets, but I won't get into that fraud. So your money's not actually there. So if you try to get it back, you can't. Alameda then is making massive donations to both sides of the aisle, if you will, the left and the right. But they were specifically making notably higher donations to the Democratic Party. And somehow Patrick's team dug up, they found the actual financial transactions, right? Like the receipt, if you will, of the transfers. And the line of the transfer's name or whatever was referred to as, I'm butchering it, but it was something along the lines of stop Trump or smear Trump. <laughs> and it was like 20 of million, zero, 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 zero. And then the like name of the transfer was smear Trump or end Trump or it was something <laughs> smear like Smear Trump LLC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so it was just funny, like the chain of events, like think about this, Aaron, you sign up with a new brokerage, you're all excited to invest, right? Like let's say Schwab or E-Trade or TD Ameritrade, like just for stocks, right? And you put in $10,000 and then as soon as you do that, <laughs> that $10,000 gets sent to a completely unrelated brokerage and that gets used as a political party donation as part of their campaign. None of this on the record, yep. none of this legal Like it's literally, that's supposed to be on their balance sheet. Like that's their only, like their only asset is to, all they're supposed to do is hold money, but they're out here donating out customers money (laughs) to political parties so that they can continue the fraud that they're doing. So you guys have to realize how this works. So it's just like war. It's all about, it's just like war. It's all about profit. You know, the war is just a guise to make money. Politics is just a guise to make money. This is what happens when I know we're going to get into the legal system here in a second, but mm-hmm. the legal system is built on corporations that like the whole purpose of a corporation is to remove liability from yourself as a man or a woman. Right. So this is why police, for example, tend to not get in trouble for literally murdering someone in cold blood or beating someone unlawfully. They'll try, someone will try to sue that police officer. And because they're suing the police officer, not the man or woman who is wearing the police uniform. It's basically like, oh, sorry, you can't sue me. I'm just a corporation. So Mm -hmm. I can just come up to you, infringe on all your rights. And then when you say, hey, you can't do that. I say, hey, don't look at me. I'm just a corporation. Are they actually structured as like LLCs or is it kind of like the person straw man thing? Like a a police station, right? Like a city police or whatever. It's a corporation. Right, right, right. 
So they so, can't come after the individual. It just goes up to who they're representing, who they're an agent of. Right. Because if you try to sue a corporate entity like a police officer, a police officer is basically invulnerable because they don't exist. They're not real. And you're under Admiralty Maritime Law when you're going after them. And it's like they didn't break any contracts. They have every right to trample over your rights according yeah. to their the contract you don't know you're in. But if you sue the actual man, you know, Joe Johnson, who was acting as a police officer on May the 9th, 2022, who violated my rights under these, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then now you've got a case, right? Because now you're actually filing a claim against a living flesh and blood man who violated your rights. So the corporation is a means to remove liability from someone who's trying to do dirty business most of the time. Yeah, And th this is what politics does. This is what the military industrial complex does. They're all corporations so that they can have this kind of shield of defense. And so we kind of forget this, right, Jeremy, that like we're dealing with fictional non-living entities, dead entities, as you say. At the end of the day, you're giving your money to someone else and you're trusting another person with your money. And so that can go wrong in a lot of ways. And we think, oh, well, it's a corporation. So they have to do the right thing and they have to be noble and just. No, they do not. And guess what? No, they aren't. They're taking your money. They're taking all of our money every day and doing all kinds of stuff in the back alley that we're not aware of. You know, politicians, lobbying, big pharma, it's all dirty money that they're using that we give them because we trust our money into their hands. And so it's like, again, we have all the power at the end of the day, we're giving our power to these corporate entities to do this maleficence with it. And so once we see, like we saw with FTX and we see every day in a number of ways, wow, look at all this corruption, look at all these scandals. We should probably stop supporting these corporations. We should probably stop voting for these politicians. And for me, that's you know why I decided to stop voting years and years ago was just the simple realization of how the system actually works. Like you explained, it's not really a free choice. And I'm just not interested in voting who gets to rule over me, right? Mm -hmm. I know that I am the highest law of the land as a living flesh and blood man under natural law, under God's law. So I don't vote for who rules over me. I may have a choice in who my public servants are, but that's not going to come when the system is so corrupt like this, that like you said, it's all about who gets the most lobbying money. And then whoever is the politician isn't even making the decisions themselves, right? No. We watched Joe Biden up there reading a script or Obama. You know, Obama was a way better teleprompt reader than yeah, Joe Biden is. Much more convincing. Much more convincing. But still, you could watch Obama and realize he's just reading a script. And it's oh, like, yeah. how did we get so far removed from reality and authenticity that we will stomach our politicians who get up every single day on these news press briefings, whether it's in the House, the Senate, the executive office, and they're on TV. And I mean, dude, they're literally reading off of a card in their hands. Mm -hmm. And we've just gotten so used to it that Joe Biden would be like, we have decided to send 51 tanks to Ukraine for blah, blah, blah reasons. He's probably hasn't even read the card until this moment. <laughs> he misreads it half the time because he, he doesn't even know what he's reading. And it's yeah. like, who's actually running this country? Like if someone I elected as my president cannot just get up authentically on a stage and just talk to us about the actual decisions that he's making or she's making, like you see Elon Musk or whoever, right, from Tesla, he doesn't need to read a script about what decisions he's making for Tesla. He runs the freaking company. He can talk to you all day off the cuff about what decisions he's making and why. Why can't our presidents, why can't our politicians do that? That should be a problem for us, right? This yeah. is so fake and inauthentic. 
I want to know who's writing these scripts and what team of people are making these decisions because I sure didn't vote for them. Yeah, you're raising some extremely good questions that I'd love to continue on. So who's writing these scripts are the best PR, psychology, human behavior propagandists, if you will, specialists in the world. Yeah. So, you know, the type that like in past episodes, I was bringing up how um, Rockefeller brought on, um, I forget his name. He had an interesting name off the top of my head, but he brought on the uh, propaganda guy from Hitler's campaigns, right? Oh, right. So they kind of, that was in the past though, but they kind of pass around the best campaign influencers, if you will, in the world. So like, for example, the same PR people that like, for example, so let's say, Aaron, you decide you want to run for president 2024, right? Obviously, one of the first things you're going to need is a boatload of money behind you. So you're going to have to sell your soul. Then the second thing you're going <laughs> to need is you're going to need kind of like, so that's going to provide the machine for you, right? It's going to be the gasoline to pour on the fire. So whether you're going to hit like social media marketing, you're going to start going to every city, you're going to need to get on television. You're going to need to get on podcasts, radio shows. Like that's what the money's for, right? And then at the same time, now the most important thing now that you've solved the attention problem is your content. It's just like if you're a business, you have to solve the attention problem and then you have to solve for the content. Is your content good enough? Because if it's not good enough at scale, you can put a message out there for the world to see. They're still not going to want it, right? And you're going to get right. roasted. Mm -hmm. So now you have to solve the content problem. And that's where people hire the best in the world at drafting messages, right? The same kind that our government uses to get a nation to back a war or to back ending a war or to back a certain movement or to get on board with a certain societal narrative. These things don't change too much, right? When you understand the first principles of kind of moving people to action and manipulating people based on their emotions and understanding their primal unconscious drives and stuff like that. So that's definitely interesting to understand that, you know, definitely it is not them writing that. And personally, I think Joe Biden should do a lot more preparation before he stands up there reading because <laughs> I send bloopers to my group all the time. And when I say bloopers, I'm not searching on the internet for Joe Biden bloopers. I'll just be scrolling Twitter. I'll be like, oh, let's hear what he said today. And there will be like five to seven mess ups in it that are like catastrophic every time I watch it <laughs> because it's like obviously not him. And he's stumbling because it's like, there's such a disconnect, right? It's like, who wrote yep. this? It's not you. You're not even really they, here. They just need a puppet to speak for them. And this is why you can understand whether you love Trump or hate Trump. And again, I didn't vote, so I have no dog in this fight, but I completely understand why Trump won in 2016 and probably in 2020, but that's another story because people are tired of seeing fake politicians yeah. get up and read off of a script and take all this lobbying money from big companies, organizations, big pharma who do insidious things. And then you got this guy who never, ever reads off a teleprompter, always definitely is talking off the cuff, speaking his original thoughts from his own mind and yeah. didn't take any lobbying money. And people are like, I choose that guy Yep. because the public is so tired of the inauthenticity, this sort of uniparty we have where whether you get someone on the left or the right, blue or red, it's the same people in the back room running the show and telling them what to do. And this is something that has to be a collective awakening because it's like we're all watching a puppet show that's completely fake. Half the audience 
is still thinks it's real and is getting emotionally pulled into the show. The other half of the audience is like, guys, wake up. It's all fake. They're fooling you. And they're like, shut up. I'm trying to watch the show, you racist. <laughs> and we're in this kind of interesting, kind of funny situation. That's the best right? example. <laughs> I'm trying to watch the show, you racist. You transphobic racist. <laughs> I mean, that's actually our reality at this moment. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Okay. So, um, so you proposed one other notion uh, that I want to kind of wrap us up here as we segue out of the, the politics uh, system. And you basically proposed this question of like, how do they get away with this? Or like, uh, it was something along those lines. And I yeah. want to kind of clarify if it isn't, I don't want to assume that this is obvious in reading between the lines. Out of all of these systems, so basic needs and survival system, news and er entertainment system, monetary system, workforce, job and education system, health system, spiritual and religious system, political system, legal system, and prison system. There is only one system at the top of all of these, and it is the political system. And let me explain why. It is exactly what Aaron was explaining of this notion of we once had a republic. They're really, really trying to transition us to a democracy and convince people that that is what it is. The political system is the only system that we've all given our consent to, to govern every other system in life. So like, let's just look at certain examples. We started off episode one talking about food, air, water, shelter, and energy. Aaron, who has the power to pass rent control bills tomorrow if they wanted? Government. Who has the power to audit, restructure, completely dissolve, or completely beef up the Food and Drug Administration tomorrow? Whatever politician you voted for. Precisely. Who has the power to sign a bill that influences what the media is and isn't allowed to put out or how they are or aren't allowed to market in terms of predatory practices, let's say on social media. Really any of the three political branches. So I'm just, we're kind of going through examples, right? Let's do another one in the health system, 2020. Who has the power to think they can mandate something and force it into your body? A corporation. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of corporation? The United States. There you go. Okay. Just want to make sure that that one didn't confuse anyone. <laughs> <laughs> one more example. Who has the power to write the bills that dictate what sends you to prison or what doesn't? Right. Yeah. Congress. So guys, if you remember in the very beginning of the first episode, I said these aren't in any particular order because it would be too difficult. And you know, you could argue a lot of different structures if you had to order this into a hierarchy. But it does go without saying that the political system sits at the top. Now, if we were more in touch with our founding fathers' desires and the way that this country was supposed to be governed and, you know, the checks and balances and separation of powers and everything like that, it being a republic, maybe that wouldn't be the case right? We would let free markets decide and everything like that. But in 2023, when we're filming this, that is not the case. And it has not been the case for a long time. So it's not that, you know, I don't want this to be the reality, but that doesn't really matter. We're just sharing, for the most part, objective facts, and then also some of our perspectives surrounding those facts. So one thing we could say, Jeremy, to wrap this up well, is that our founding fathers, if you read our founding documents, constitution and articles of confederation, they explicitly gave the government 19, I believe it's 19 powers, correct me if I'm wrong. And they said, and most importantly, no more than this. 
19 abilities that government has to rule and no more than that. And now today with the way that our Congress has sort of hijacked government, there's like something like over 30,000 powers the government has taken into its own hands. Like Jeremy went into, now it can regulate our energy, our food, our water, our medical abilities, our consent in certain areas. The government was never given those powers by the founding fathers. And they actually said, and they shouldn't have any more power than this. So this is how things gradually shift over time. And now the tail wags the dog, right? So we've got to get to this point of realizing, okay, let's return back to where we started. Because, hey, it can't get any worse than this, right? If we just go back to where we started to start over, surely it would at least be orders of magnitude better and more organized and more principled than where we are now. So to me, it's like we risk nothing by just back engineering everything back to where we started and starting over. What was the original intention of government of the people, the status of the people. Let's begin there, right? And that's what you and I have gotten into many conversations about with common law and and the legal system as we transition into that conversation. It's really just saying, let's get back to the basics. This is still the underlying law system that we operate under, but we've sort of been fooled over the last, you know, century or two through the education system and stuff that we're not taught what real law even is. And we're only taught this sort of fraudulent law system that we call the legal system. And that's where we talked about last episode that we think we're playing checkers as we go out into the world and as we interact with the world and corporations. It's like we think we're playing checkers. And actually, they're playing chess. And not only do we not know they're playing chess, we don't even know how to play chess. What is going on, guys? I just want to take a really quick break from the podcast to remind you that if you're continuing to receive value from the Conscious Wealth Podcast, the absolute best thing that you can do to support us is leave us a quick five-star review and let us know how you're liking the show. I have literally nothing to sell you, unless you happen to feel overwhelmingly inspired to join the Level Up Collective, our wealth mastermind. But I will never sell you on that. And honestly, we turn away about 40% of applicants every enrollment period. I started this podcast to give back and share the hidden knowledge that no one seems to be willing to share publicly, let alone share it for free. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we do not do any advertising of other companies on the podcast, nor do we run ads on our YouTube videos, simply because we're playing the long game with this podcast. We truly want to impact millions. If that resonates with you, help us continue to provide you top tier content by rating the show and sharing it with your friends. Thank you so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. The biggest difference here in kind of what's going on is the way that our country was structured when they set up the Declaration, the Bill of Rights, Constitution. These documents were intended to, I mean, you can just tell by how timeless they are, right? And how applicable they are today. It's almost like a subversion of like the way that the Bible ages so well. It's Mm -hmm. still applicable thousands of years later. They really did their due diligence here. And in my opinion, from studying this, all of these documents and kind of, you know, our origins, the number one thing they were trying to hedge risk against is human nature, humans, blind spots, flaws, and shadow tendencies. They knew that because 
I'm sure they were familiar with that in themselves. They'd observed it many, many times over, studied history, et cetera. And it's like, all right, how can we create sets of principles that can keep us out of our own way? That was Mm -hmm. the objective. And as soon as we pivoted out of being able to even agree on the basic premise that these are all we're going to follow, right? Like declaration, amendments, et cetera. Now, as soon as that kind of switch happened, and once again, I don't know the exact time that it happened. It was these things tend to occur gradually, Mm -hmm. but it was almost just like, you know, the gates were kicked open and it's been incredibly difficult to even fathom getting the genie back into the bottle now because we have tens of thousands of statutes now. And a statute is this man-made ordinance that, you know, we talked about, I don't know if it was in part one or part two, but I know we preface this. It's like whatever is popular at the time, whatever's believed at the time, whatever's trendy at the time, well, policymakers are going to write that into the permanent infrastructure of what it means to be an American as far as the law. And that's incredibly dangerous. It's like most of our politicians are, we could just say, to put it nicely, very clouded. And they're making these important, important decisions that are written into law now and have Mm -hmm. dire consequences for many. And remember, Aaron, in the beginning when I was talking about centralization and complexity? Right. It's this notion of complexity on this thread that I see as the real issue here, where like you were talking about, and I don't know the exact number either, but I know what you're, the concept you were referencing. Like, let's just say that it's 19 and you guys can fact check us if you want. Yeah. It's more about the concept. Being able to stick to a set of principles that are simple is like massively overlooked. There's a reason there's 11 laws of the universe, 10 commandments, 19 ordinances that were laid out. Like there's a reason, guys, or like the constitution. There's not that many amendments, right? There's a reason for this. They were hedging against complexity because I can guarantee you from studying this all in depth, you can see it. You can reverse engineer and derive from how they went about things that they understood that if they created complexity, that would open the door for manipulation and corruption. So the idea is make it so simple, make it so basic, make it so timeless that it can't possibly be misinterpreted in 200 years when new words and slang and cultural advancements are created. And they did an amazing job of that, but then the world got way more complex. I don't think they could have fathomed, Aaron, what has happened in just a few hundred years. It has been, you know, and I have other podcasts on this. I'm about to release one on the rise of AI and getting into this concept of Moore's law and network effects. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but generally technology that contains chips, like semiconductor chips, which Mm -hmm. is in like everything from our phones to our laptops, to our TVs, to our cars. It's in everything. These chips tend to double in efficiency every 18 months. So if you graphed that- It looks like this. It doesn't look like that. It's not (laughs) linear. It goes, and that's why all of a sudden ChatGBT came out of nowhere. And people are like really confused because if they're not studying this stuff in the background, like I do, because, you know, that's applicable to a lot of the things I invest in. 
all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what the hell? This thing can write me a validation of debt letter in seven seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can. And so that'll be an interesting video that I'm going to be dropping in a little bit, but I wanted to and bring next, that up. Next because... month, they're, they're like, it's going to, we're going to make a 2.0 model yeah, now version in a month. Four. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be 10 and times more powerful. More than that. That's about 100. 100. It's like 100 times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Just like is. two months after they released it. Yep. And I get into that. And that's this whole notion of like network effects. So it's like the more data points feeding back into it. So we don't need to get down that rabbit hole right now, but. I do think it is interesting to note that like our founding fathers did everything they could to try to prevent this. I don't think they fathomed the level of complexity that would already be here just a few hundred years later because Mm -hmm. of technology. Like Aaron, think of how many hundreds of thousands of years it took what you could refer to as a human to invent the first technology, the first like dial-up computer or like radio transistor or like printing press, right? How long did that take? And then from that to literal AI, how long has that taken us? Yeah, it's it's truly mind-boggling to think about. And so from now from ChatGBT, just the beta tested version that we just saw in another, what, two years? Mm -hmm. Like you see how it's going like that. So it's, I think it's a fascinating conversation around And we'll get into this fourth turning vibes and everything like that, right? Breaking down for people, demographic and things, these things repeat themselves hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This is nothing new what we're going through, guys. But I think we have a real opportunity to return back to basics and do our best as a people to find a set of more simplified rules that we can all agree on, right? Like right now we can't even agree on gender. We can't even agree that <laughs> men don't have periods apparently from what I'm seeing. <laughs> we we can't agree can. on like men can't have a baby. So like we're in peak polarization, which is peak class, insanity, classic end of a fourth turning symptom. Yeah. If you've yep. studied it, it's textbook, makes yep. sense, not worried about it. But what I'm saying is as we transition And through this decade into what's referred to as a first turning and a fresh slate, just like happened to the US after World War II with the Bretton Woods Agreement. It's this notion of like, let's start fresh. And I think we have a real opportunity to return to simplicity, to balance and mitigate the complexity that technology advancements and ultimately just like our civilization has now stepped into. Like there's so much complexity out there. We can't also maintain that complexity in our law system without a massive amount of corruption due to the sheer inability to manage all of the data. It's overwhelming for people like this. Now that brings up this notion of legalese and how all of this works. And like none of us have any clue what these words actually mean. We don't understand how the court system works. We don't understand why they're hitting their gavel three times, why you have to step through, you know, the little uh, the floodgate, the yeah. little floodgate. Like we were not taught any of this. And that's what I mean by complexity. Like if they just made it simple, the ability to corrupt it would be really fucking difficult. And that yeah. is why it's not simple anymore. I just want everyone to understand that as we transition. Yeah. There's the passage in the Old Testament about Babylon and God says, confuse the language and you'll scatter the people. Yeah. And that's one of the things they did was they confused the language to to scatter the people into different lands. That's essentially what the legal system is and what it has done, right? Hmm. And the point Jeremy's making here is so important that truth is simple. 
Truth is self-evident. And that's why our founding fathers put in the Declaration of Independence, which I think is the most powerful document that they created. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator, as we said in episode one, with certain inalienable rights. They said that because they probably knew the future. We can't predict what the future will look like. We can't even know what problems our country will have in 200 years. But we do know that if we hold them to the self-evident facts of truth that are inherent to their being, all men are created equal, endowed from their creator, then they can't go too wrong. They can't stray too far from truth. And that's because chaos is where darkness rules, right? Harmony and order is where truth rules, where light rules. When you bring something into the light, you understand it, you know it, you can see it. Nothing can be hidden. So chaos and complexity is one of the strategies of the matrix, right? To confuse us and scatter us. And that's what they've done so well with the legal system. And specifically, I think we mentioned this, Jeremy, the negative path, the the dark side, whatever you want to call it, the negative polarity, as I like to say, really just has two basic control weapons to control the population with, and it's language and money. And they've done a masterful job at taking command of those two things. Hmm. Darth Vader vibes. (laughs) 100%. The dark side. That's what popped in my head. So I think this is a perfect segue for us to get a little bit more into the legal system because we've already been touching on it a little bit. So everyone's like, finally, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) So yeah, we wanted to give you guys a much more zoomed out view because, you know, especially with how my channel, like where most of my subscribers have come from has been like videos on like heavy legal rabbit holes. Yeah. I want people to understand that that is just a piece that fits into the bigger picture, right? Yeah. So like if you're only proficient in law, but like you're loading yourself with like environmental toxins and you don't have any clue about the monetary system and you're getting the jab and so on and so forth. No spirituality. so, So you're getting reamed by all these other systems, but like you're all about etymology. Like, I don't know if that's freedom. Like, I don't know if you're going to stand a chance there. So like, we wanted to show you guys, like all of this is interconnected. And so if you're really looking to live your best life in a very cliche way to say it, these are all areas of importance. They're all extremely important. I'd say- I like the phrase, Jeremy, that uh, the way you are with one thing is the way you are with everything. Exactly. Yeah. Like hopefully what allowed you to see the corruption of the legal system will allow you to see the corruption of politics and big pharma and all these other institutions. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if you guys are into our content, we know one thing about you. You're really passionate about freedom. And hopefully the same thing that drove you to desire freedom, usually in like a spiritual or a monetary sense. Also, hopefully it would click for you that like you're going to want freedom of like your body and freedom of health, and freedom of not being reliant on institutions and things of this nature. So it's like freedom, which is everything my brand is about. I'm always trying to educate people that freedom is way more broad and deep than you probably thought or currently think. It's all about, you know, always showing people different lenses, bringing them back to like all these things are connected. And each of these areas is an act of self-love. So right. when you start to educate yourself on what's actually in your food and you make that switch from antibiotic pumped chicken to grass-fed, <laughs> grass-finished, you know, locally sourced beef, that's an act of self-love. Yep. When you get your first, you know, shower water filter or 
Air Doctor. Shout out to Air Doctor. I'm not sponsored. <laughs> I got I got two of them. Yeah, I love Air Doctor though. You get your first high quality air filter and you get to game changer. Whoa, I've never breathed like this before. That's an act of self-love, right? When you start to, you know, take more seriously your health and you get your DNA tested and you get your blood panels and you start to work to optimize your hormones and your gut and everything like that. That's an act of self-love. Just like the legal system, yeah, last thing, just like when you start to learn how to read legalese or you get yourself a Black's Law Dictionary or you learn to write the basics, your first affidavit or debt validation letter, that is an act of self-love. These things are not mutually exclusive. That's the term I'm looking for. They are an and, not an or. And in order to really position yourself in the best way possible and your family for this next first turning and entire four turning cycle that we're heading into, which usually lasts about a hundred years. We'll get into that. You can't just be proficient in one of these areas. We're being called back to self-sustainability, self-governance. You can't say, I agree with governing myself politically, but I don't agree with governing myself medically. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, all of these systems have become synonymous to where now you have to be your own doctor. You have to be your own nutritionist. You have to be your own researcher. You have to be your own personal trainer. You have to be your own legal advisor and on and on. And I wish it was that way, but it is. And it's all an invitation to take back our power. Go ahead, Aaron. Well said, man. I know we keep going off on rabbit trails, but this is just so important. When you talked about your last point there about you can't expect to govern yourself, you know, legally, but not medically. Yeah. This is one of my realizations I've come to with the whole jab situation over the last few years is that the intense rage and anger we saw from people who took the jab towards those who didn't, I think it comes from a deeper place of our own knowledge of freedom within us. There's a resentment there, right? Of like, Our overlords told us, hey, pleb, you have to do this thing because we said so. And, you know, 60%, whatever it was, said, yes, overlords, we'll do whatever you say. And they, you know, they hadn't tested it. They hadn't done anything to it. Now we, now we know all this, right? But they did it because they were told to do it. And then, you know, 30% of us said, no, I'm not doing that. And I think underneath the, oh, you're so selfish, all the surface level arguments that they made towards the anti vaxxers, really, there was this rage of like, you just cannot do what our overlord said we have yeah. to do. Like yes. you have that kind of freedom. And that's what we owe to the world, right? Is to live free. As I said in episode one, when I stand for my freedom, it's a simultaneous declaration for all of humanity's freedom. Why? Because our freedom comes from unity. Our freedom is equal amongst all of us. So my freedom is your freedom, which is why I'm sorry I can't participate in your enslavement because in in any way, shape or form, because I'm contributing to all of humanity's enslavement and vice versa. When I stand for my freedom, I'm standing for everyone's freedom. And so this is what we just saw happen in a huge way was a big part of humanity said on principle, no, it's not even forget all the medical stuff. Well, there's a virus and you should, or you should way before we even get there. You don't get to tell me what goes into my body, period. My body, my choice used to be the far left cry, right? Now it's the far right cry. But it's like, okay, we obviously both agree to some extent that we should have autonomous freedom of our own body. And it's just like whichever political party is saying to do the thing, that political party tends to obey. But nevertheless, freedom is inherent to us. We know that and we feel that. And so we owe it to the world to live free because freedom is contagious, man. When people start encountering you and you're living free in your finances, 
in, uh, in the way you relate to the government and the medical realm and health, you're free in all these areas. You're going to wake people up really quick and they're going to realize, oh, yeah. oh, I didn't even realize how much I've been outsourcing all my power and freedom to external sources, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that we see happen a lot when people come into my community, which is very much so generally marketed as like more towards the, like the financial freedom stuff. But we have kind of curriculum and buckets for everything. And what's really cool for me to see is like, as the leader of the community is people will come in thinking like, yeah, I just really need to clear this debt. I've, you know, this debt, I'm stuck in debt or whatever, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're not. And they're like, I'm really looking to learn how to leverage other people's money and get ahead financially, whatever it may be. They come in with this idea, right? And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, you're talking a lot about like, you know, health. And I, I was never that, that into supplements. And, you know, I just bought my first red light or Hey, I've been doing the grounding and getting sunlight in the morning or, mm-hmm. Hey, I, uh, what kind of shower water filter should I get? Or, Hey, just got my air doctor or Hey, I just got it. my blood panels done. And it's like, I'm known in a certain way by, I mean, everyone perceives everyone differently. Right. So it's like people on YouTube are going to perceive me a certain way. Maybe I'm the etymology guy. <laughs> and then like <laughs> people sure. on Instagram, depending how long they've been following me, they're going to perceive me a certain way. But like all of this stuff fucking matters guys. And it's the coolest thing for me to see it click for people of like, oh, I've been doing it in this one area, but like, I'm also a single mom and I've been feeding my daughter Fruit Loops. Oh shit. It's, there are constant invitations every step of the journey to take your power back, take your autonomy back, like Aaron's been saying. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, I'm always saying that all of this is spiritual. It's all an opportunity for spiritual advancement of, okay, I've checked off this, 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 and this. I'm doing great over here. What else? Where am I leaking my energy? And just constantly improving until all of a sudden you built this life where you're like, holy shit, I'm really, truly aligned with God's desires and intentions. Yeah. Yeah. The word spiritual there is, we could also say Mm self-awareness. You know, you just got to become self-aware. We talked about this, I think in our previous episode of like, uh, when it comes to big food right now, we know just the heinous, unfathomable amount of poison and toxins in our food. Just go to Safeway, whatever you just bought is loaded with poison. You would never dream of touching it with a 10 foot pole. If you watched how they make it and what they put in it, and you knew what all those chemicals do, you would, you would be like, how can I sue this company? How dare they do something? But nevertheless, you're walking into Safeway every day and spending, or every week and spending a hundred bucks on groceries of pure toxic poison that's killing you. And you're paying for someone else to poison you and you don't know it. Why? Because you're not aware, right? You don't have the awareness yet in that area. So what Jeremy's saying is we're just gradually every day, day by day, this doesn't have to be this giant, overwhelming task, although it can feel like that. I got to wake up to everything that's corrupt in the world. No, you don't. Just wake up to one thing right right now, Yeah. right? One thing today, where can you take a little bit of your power back today? And that's a very rewarding way to live. 100%, the most rewarding. I can't, once you do it, you can't imagine living another way. You can't go back. It's just like Neo. All right, guys, so transition here. So we were just talking about the political system and I raised kind of this notion of, the political system being put in place in order to give people the illusion of choice, right? And so in that sense, it's giving people the illusion of choice over their rulers, over those who oppress them. They won't be so mad that they're ruled over and oppressed, even though all men are supposed to be equal, but they'll put that to the side as long as they feel like they had a say in it. With the court system, it's very similar. 
And here's how the legal system seems to work. The legal system serves a very important purpose. What it does is it gives the illusion of justice and equality. You see, if you have a mass populace of people and you can't get them to actually believe that there is such thing as equality and fairness baked into the system you want them to conform to, they will rebel, burn down the stores, yep. rush the capital. It won't end well. And if you it's study history, over and over. yeah, you see that has consistently happened. So this system we currently have, I will say, I want to be fair and balanced. It is arguably the best system and the fairest system we've ever come up with. Having said that, <laughs> that is not the same thing as saying it's not a compliment. It's a good system at all. If you right. study history, you'll be like, "Ooh, it's hard to accept. That's how we were just, I don't know, a hundred years ago. I mean, how long ago was it that women were allowed to vote or that yeah. slavery ended? I mean, we're not as advanced as we think internally. Like we can create AI, but we just abolished slavery less than a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like that's bananas Ouch. to me. So this notion of justice and equality, I think it's really important for people to understand. I'm a big investor guy. I like to study macroeconomics and I also really like technology and innovation and stuff like that. So that's why I've been dropping little gems here and there. But for anyone who's unfamiliar, one of my indirect mentors that I've learned a lot from is Ray Dalio. Have you heard of Ray Dalio, Aaron? I haven't, no. So Ray Dalio is a hedge fund owner and he runs Bridgewater Capital, which is the largest hedge fund in the world. So what that means is that he has the most amount of billions in assets under management out of any hedge fund in the world. And he literally came from like lower middle class background, born with no wealth. So he did that in one generation. And he is all about principles, breaking life down into principles. And to save a long tangent, I'll basically get to the point with this notion of Ray is an expert at history. He is one of the people who really first inspired me to start taking the last, let's say, 500 plus years of economic history a lot more serious. Super he groups, important. He groups everything into another one of those is what he refers to it as. So he says that basically... Everything that all the unknown from like, if this is the present, everything in the future that we're yet to face that we're is completely unknown right now. Every single one of those is just another one of those. Right. The problem is, is that when we encounter it in real time, because we haven't done our due diligence of the past, when we run into another one of those, we think it's new. We think it's novel. We don't respond to it the right way. So that alone was like very, very helpful to understand. But anyway, where I'm going with this in relation to the legal system is that Ray gets into a lot about the rise and fall of civilizations. He's done an, like an entire book on this as far as economically, right? So he's mm -hmm, studied like right. all the currencies that have ever worked. He studied every fiat currency and every gold-backed currency. And so, for example, we know that a fiat currency has never lasted more than about 100 years before it was basically devalued to nothing. And the US is coming up on that 100-year mark. That's a yeah. conversation for another time. But in his studying of history and in my studying of history as well, as well as his studies, he routinely gets into this, like in each of the last civilizations that have either worked or not worked very well, there's this recurring theme of any of those societies 
in order for them to work in the first place, they have to be able to get the populace to believe that the system is fair. And if they won't believe that, they basically just rally, riot, and kill their rulers. Mm-hmm. And then there's chaos. Like, I'm not saying that that's a good thing. Like, a lot of people, for example, think that we should have no police, no government, no nothing. I'm actually not in that bucket. I've pulled my audience before. It was kind of fucking hilarious. Shout out to my audience. I mean, you guys are... You guys are funny for this. I told you guys, like, should police exist? And it was like over 90% said no. I'm like, would life be better off if police didn't exist? Basically, everyone said yes. Would life be better off if government did exist? Like, didn't exist. Would you prefer there's zero government? Like 90 something percent says yes. Yeah. I just want you guys to understand you wouldn't last a fucking day with (laughs) no government. (laughs) Okay. Or police. Sorry, but I'm not. What that showed me, Aaron, and I love to do little like human behavior tests with my audience like that. What that showed me is that people haven't studied history. Because if you don't have a government, which is really just, how does Elon define a government? Monopoly on violence. Love that definition. Oh, that's a great definition. If you don't have a government, a centralized, remember we talked about centralization and complexity. If you don't have a centralized monopoly on violence that can... Just the mere thought or threat of it keeps a populace in check. If you don't have that, it's burning, looting. I mean, we're back to primal drives. And I know a lot of the spiritual community is like, you know, no, we've evolved. Like, it's love and light. It's not love and light for a lot of people in the world right now. Mm -hmm. It is not love and light. If you abolish the police, you abolish all the government branches And it's just like, let's go back to barter. And we think that that's just going to be like happy, gradual transition. It's like, no, those in the most fear, the most anger with the most trauma, the most underprivileged are going to have a field day. (laughs) So that's a bit of a tangent, but I just thought that was funny to throw in there. So it's like to tie it full circle and then I'll I'll stop talking Aaron and I'll let you go. <laughs> this notion of justice and equality, we have to be able to agree on that. And what happens at the end of fourth turnings, like I said, we're going to get into this guys, but just understand that every 80 to 120 years there are these demographic repeating cyclical trends that have been observed for the last 500 to 700 years. A lot of data there pointing to strong pattern being there. Ours started, you could argue, in the Roaring Twenties. I'm a fan of feeling like it started with the Bretton Woods Agreement after we won World War II, so we could say 1945. We are almost 80 years. We're coming up on 80 years right now. Like I said, the cycles have always fallen in between 80 and 120 years, so check that box. There are a lot of things that happen at the end of a fourth turning, and when I went through the checklist, that was when I started really taking this seriously, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First time I read the book, I was like, wow. Then when I really studied the book and I compared it to what's going on today, okay, that is when I you I won't shut up about it now because it's like, this is it. I've never been more sure of any macro prediction in my life. And one of the things that happens at the end of fourth turnings is that usually there's the rise of a populist. That's what Trump was. There is an inability to agree on the basic, most basic first principle shit. I don't know, gender, men (laughs) having babies. Okay. There is a peak 
polarization of the left and the right. They've done some polls in the last, since 2020, they pulled Democrats and asked them, basically, would you kill a Republican if you knew you wouldn't go to jail for it? There are record levels of people saying yes, like exactly. They're so asleep in the dream that they're like wanting to kill their brothers and sisters because of they're wearing red instead of blue or vice versa. Okay. Then we have 2020. The Capitol gets stormed, right? An inability to even accept that the most foundational political and legal system, voting, an inability to believe that it was not fraudulent. That was huge. Ray Dalio even talked about that, which was surprising to me because he's a billionaire. You can imagine who he's rubbing shoulders with. And he (laughs) was bringing up that like when they rushed the Capitol and everything, that was like the biggest indicator right there that we are in extremely polarized, divisive times where there has never been this level of distrust in right. the systems, systems, if you will, which is why that's what this podcast would be called, the system systems. Yeah. And I think it's just all tying in perfectly. So I'll give you a chance to check in on that, but just wanted to be clear, like, If you haven't studied history, it seems like the world's fucking ending if you're alive Mm -hmm. during a fourth turning. Yeah. If you have studied history, you understand that this has happened every single century for at least five to seven centuries that can be indisputably documented. What's going on, my friend? I want to thank you for supporting our show and continuing to tune into our content. If you've been finding our show valuable, we want to invite you to Make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. We are super excited to be starting a bi-monthly free email newsletter in which we will be offering free education on everything from consumer law, contract law, credit repair, credit optimization, tips on funding, financial literacy, investing, all the areas that our brand puts out education around will be taught in bite-sized pieces and this will be only offered to our exclusive email list. So if this interests you, definitely check out the link in the description. You can check out our main YouTube page and it'll be linked in the description there as well. Or you can just go to www.jgriff.org. Now let's get back to the show. Something that's interesting to me, Jeremy, is seeing this from the perspective of collective consciousness that the four turnings are like like sort of like a biorhythm in the collective consciousness. Like we have biorhythms in our body. Our collective human self also has these kinds of biorhythms and it's this progression of the way we evolve through the catalyst of society and all the things that society brings. A lot of you guys have heard this phrase, but you can understand the four turnings very easily in this sort of a, it's become like a colloquialism now. Joe Rogan talks about it. Hard times, where, where does it start? Yep. Hard times create, do you know it better than I do? Yeah. So it's basically like hard times create strong men. men. Or strong yeah, yeah. men. And then strong men create good times. Good times. And then good times create weak men. And then weak men create bad times. And so then there's bad four times create strong men. And then it so it just it goes like this. And you can interchange men for people, right? Yeah. Human being. Really hard times like we're going through now force us to be what? To be free, self-empowered, strong, stand up for ourselves, push back on corruption. Because we don't have a choice, right? Are they going to take yeah, all our rights away? You can't be a victim during a fourth turning or you'll get smoked. You're going to get stomped and people are getting stomped. Yeah. But that's the catalyst the universe brings to humanity through this yep. is that when power grows so corrupt and starts to really enforce itself on 
the population so obviously that the population can't deny any longer, the people that are ruling us are our enemy. (laughs) Then it forces the people to say, well, we got to rise up. And then those hard times create strong people. And then the people are going to take their power back for a certain period of time and say, hey, let's correct these problems. But that's going to lead to some good times. Create hey, you more know, the, equality, opportunity, abundance. Yeah. Yeah. Like the roaring 20s or the 50s. Exactly. Right? Everything's going well. Yep. But then people get complacent. They get comfortable and they overlook the creeping balance of powers coming back into society. Right. The way that monopolies are starting to form, the way that certain groups of people are buying up everything and owning everything. These things happen so slowly, right? Like you said, with BlackRock, that we don't notice that this is happening until it's too late. And then now we've shifted back into hard times again because we became weak because of the good times. So this is a a cycle of evolution that we're going through. And the important point, Jeremy, of how do we break this cycle? How do we transcend this cycle? Is I think we have to stop making an enemy. We have to stop blaming anyone or anything for this problem other than ourself. 100%. This is what we've tried to really put forward to you guys in this series is that yes, there's an insane amount of corruption in the world, but you cannot point the finger of judgment and blame towards anyone for it other than you, because they're not going to do any good. You're going to just contribute to more of the problem. Why? Because at the end of the day, and this is a spiritual law, a spiritual principle that you got to let get into you. What I'm about to say is going to confront a lot of egos listening, but nevertheless, this is your ticket to freedom if you get this. At the core of every action someone does, whether it's murder or whether it's giving to the poor, there is an innocent intention at the very, very core of what that person's doing. And that innocent intention is always, I just want to be happy. I just want to be free of pain, right? So why does a murderer murder someone? Because they think that person's the cause of their pain. And by eliminating you, I can be happy. Now, yes, that innocent intention has been very distorted through the mind and the ego. So now it's this horrible act of murder. But nevertheless, the intention's the same in all of us. We all want to be happy. We all want to be free. And so this is how systems in the matrix get so corrupt. It isn't what a lot of the truth movement kind of wants to believe, which is that there's just people that are way more intelligent and way more insidious and powerful than we are. And they all come together and they scheme these systems and they make them up. That's partially true. They play into these systems, yes, but they do not create them because they can't. Only no. the collective can create these yes. this level of corruption by feeding into it. And this happens innocently, right? A, a young politician like begins their political career. I want to help the American people because I'm a constitutional Republican or Democrat, and I believe in freedom. And they start their campaign, city mayor or whatever, they work up the ranks. By the time they're running for Senate, you know, they go to a dinner meeting with some bureaucrats who are on their party's team, and they sit down and there's a bunch of lobbyists sitting across from them. They're like, hey, son, I want to help your campaign so you can benefit the people of, you know, Minnesota or wherever you're running. And so I'm going to give you $150 million if you just do me one little favor. And when that bill comes around, you just say no. And how easy is it, Jeremy, for that politician to rationalize in his mind, $150 million? Well, that's a lot of money. I could help a lot of people with that money. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to help people by taking this deal. It'll be for the greater good in the long run. And they justify taking money to that circumvents the integrity of being a senator or a congressman, which is I make decisions that are best for the people, period, not powerful corporations. Like someone slowly gets inundated into that world. They don't just wake up evil one day 
And oh, now I can blame you because you're just evil. No, they slowly got corrupted by the system that no one inherently built. We all collectively built because we all want money. We all want power. We're all greedy. So it's like, look, let's put our guns down. Let's put our angry fingers down and just say, what can I do to stop participating in these systems of corruption, to stop unconsciously feeding them, which is what we're all doing, right? And take my power back. Because again, when I take my power back, I help you take your power back. So as we get into understanding the legal system and even moving into the prison system, these are just a few more ways that we've unknowingly been feeding a corrupt system that with just a little bit of knowledge, you can take an enormous amount of your self-empowerment back. I'm really glad you just used that example. What sitting down with, you know, I think you said he was trying to be a senator or something, but sat down with lobbyists. In my estimation, over 80% of those listening to this right now would do that. At least. At least. And that is factoring in the well above average consciousness of our viewers. Right. And I don't think as a community, we've come to terms with that. Mm -hmm. If you understood your capacity for corruption, you would stop pointing fingers. Like the word, I've reached a point where the word bad bothers my ego when someone says, you know, whether it's a student saying, hey, is this bad? Or Jack's asking me like, but aren't they bad? And I'm like, every time I'm like, what is what bad? Is, what does that even like, mean? What are you, yeah. Say another word. So like, <laughs> I'll just call them on it and then they'll like, I'll make them come up with a better word. But that's what I'm talking about. It's too easy. Every time we say bad or good, it's like we're bypassing. That's you first off. And second off, it's like, if you were in those exact circumstances, it's like, think of the road to get to that place. Think mm -hmm. of how strong your desire, like all the bullshit you would have to put up with and all the things you had to do, you didn't want to do to get to that position just to try yeah. to help people. Incredible amount of bullshit. And you're finally there. And it's like, holy shit, everything I've worked my entire life for is just, I have a blank check right here in front of me. Yep. And I can really finally help these people. I just have to like not help these people. You can understand like you would probably fucking do that and you would rationalize it because otherwise you would kill yourself. Right. And that's how the ego works. It's literally one of the jobs of the egos. It has to reframe reality. It can't accept objective reality. It has to reframe reality to match our biases. Yeah. It's like if you were at Starbucks, Jeremy, and you're going through the drive-thru and they give you your order and there's a bagel in your bag that you didn't order. They accidentally put it in there or whatever. Like, do you drive around the front of the store, park, walk in and say, oh, hey, I think you gave me this bagel by accident. I didn't pay for this. Or, hey, can I pay for this bagel? Like, if you don't know for certain you would do that all the time, then how can you be sure that if you were a hardworking, young, upcoming politician and you're sitting at a dinner meeting and a Pfizer executive is offering you millions of dollars to veto a bill about you know health or whatever, how can you possibly know you wouldn't do the same thing and rationalize it in your mind of, well, it, you know, in the grand scheme, though, this is still a benefit. I'm still helping the people, right? Like, no, of course, you just violated your integrity because now you're letting a corporation tell you how to serve the people. And that's not integrous, but you're not seeing it that way. So you're not evil. You're not bad. You're not a horrible person. You're not you shouldn't be hated. Right. But you're not self-aware. So it's like if I wouldn't return the bagel, I have no business pointing the finger. Right. Jesus said he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. 
So here's one way we can make the world a less corrupt place is you stop being corrupt in the tiniest of ways, right? Can you take full self-responsibility to do the right thing when no one's looking to always behave in integrity, even when it's seemingly insignificant? If you can do that, you're doing something so much more powerful than you realize because what you're doing is you're adding more integrity into the collective consciousness, right? Because all minds are joined. Truthfully, all our minds, we are connected. And when I walk in integrity, I make it this much easier for everyone else to walk in integrity, right? Because now there's an energy field in the collective that's being integrous. So if all of us start doing that, think about how fast we can turn society around and we'll see the population say no to corruption more and more often. That is what's happening before our eyes in this sort of great awakening, right? Which is a beautiful thing to witness. But again, it's really easy to just be like, oh, I hate this planet. This planet's so corrupt. And I see these comments online all the time on social media. And it always kind of saddens me a bit to see people say that. I hate humanity. I hate the, this planet because of the corruption. And it's like, can you see that that hatred in you, that negative energy you're directing is itself the problem, right? Yeah. I would argue that that's self-hate that they're experiencing. Of course it is. Because they're they've fallen asleep to duality and separation. And so when you say this planet is so corrupt, what you're really saying is I hate that I'm have the capacity for such corruption, but you exactly. haven't gone there yet. And that's really what we're getting at. That's why I think in our very first episode, I remember I randomly brought up like shadow work and <laughs> how all of this is like shadow work. It's like, it's all shadow work. Every bro. time you go to like, fuck the system, it's like, sounds like there's some repressed emotions about your own capacity for darkness. Well, that's exactly what it is because, you know, you're at the gym and you you finish your bench press set or whatever, and you don't re-rack the weights. You just ask some other guy, will do it. You got to push it off on the next guy. Well, that's the same thing that allows the corrupt politician to take the lobbying money. You know what I mean? Literally. It's the same thing, just at a different level. <laughs> or you don't throw your bubble gum in the trash. You throw it on the ground or you don't put your shopping cart back. Like you yeah. overlook these things all day and you think I'm such a good person, but shame on that politician. I hate yeah. them so much. Just projection. That, and that's what the ego does. So if you can understand that that's what our ego does, like you're literally unconscious to what you do and how flawed you actually are, even if you're hard on yourself, you're still unconscious to a lot of how flawed you actually are. And at least in terms of double standards. And so if you can understand that the politician has the same thing in them, yeah, they have the same thing in them. They're looking to someone bigger going, I'm not doing that. Right. I'm not <laughs> Epstein. Come right. On. So it's like, <laughs> we're all doing it. That's why it's yeah. like all of me and Aaron's solutions. We try to always bring it full circle. Like, look, we'll talk about the external world as much as you guys want. We like it too. It's cool. It's fun. It's a game. But at the end of the day, it is just a game. And in order for you to win the game, the answers are all inside. They're not out yeah. there. You're never yeah. going to achieve any additional ounce of freedom from external change. You'll right. perceive freedom in the moment to moment based off of how much freedom you allow yourself to perceive. Yeah. Well said. The external world is just the stage where we act out our internal world. So it's it's not a bad thing to talk about the external world a lot, but with what mindset are you talking about it from? Because the external world's really the realm of effect, right? All the things we see happening in the world are the effect of a cause in someone's mind somewhere, right? They're acting out what they believe and feel about the world and themselves. So while we're talking about the external world and the conspiracies and the corruptions, let's always find the root cause of those exactly. external things in the internal plane, right? 
Yeah, beautifully said, root cause. So I knew this was going to be my favorite pod of the series. This has been a good one, especially just because we've just been riffing and haven't even gotten much into the legal system. (laughs) (laughs) So there's- We'll have more episodes on that. Yeah, we're not going to go into anything dense regarding the legal system. I did obviously want to mention how that works through the whole notion of um, at a macro level, understanding that the purpose of it, to summarize in one sentence, is to give- all of us, the illusion of justice and equality, but also understanding because of where we're at in 2020, 2021, 2022, now 2023, there are peak levels of mistrust in the court system itself, among other systems. So that's an important thing to understand. I also want to mention that unfortunately, the United States was founded on amazing constitutional principles that me and Aaron have talked about already to try to ensure that what has happened didn't happen. (laughs) They tried, (laughs) but we're in challenging times and people are so distracted. That's where that complexity is so sinister because the more complex you make something, the more people get overwhelmed and they just want to distract because they're overwhelmed. Right. And People are unaware of the foundations of words and the foundations of law. You can't fathom law if you don't understand words, and people don't understand words in this day and age. And then also we have this thing that life is moving so fast these days. It's just getting faster and faster, and things are feeling more and more complex. And so all of that together kind of makes this perfect storm where we have seriously drifted away from the first principles that our nation was founded on and the document that all of our public officials swear an oath to uphold. We haven't really addressed that part, but all of them have to swear an oath to get into their position. And then it's almost like as soon as they get into their position, there's an unspoken agreement. I mean, there probably is. There's an unspoken agreement. They're like, we're not actually upholding that. Like we're like, it's like, oh, are you new here? <laughs> like I can I can picture a skit where like someone's like it's their first day in the White House and they're like, but sir, that's unconstitutional. And then they all just look at each other, have a good chuckle, and they're like, you must be new here. <laughs> it's like the lobbying money hasn't hit your bank account yet. You must be new here. But we're not hold, we're not upholding an oath. <laughs> like no. we uphold an, a different oath. <laughs> well, they swear an oath Secret to oaths. the United States, not the United States of America, right? So they're actually swearing to the corporation, the mm. business called United States. Yeah. You know my friend Robert Michael, yeah, who teaches law, he made a post about how all but one, I think, of the Supreme Court judges actually are there illegally. Because they do not have any of the credentials that a judge needs to sit a Supreme Court justice. They did a FOIA request into the four mandatory credentials they have to have. And the FOIA request came back and basically said, "Uh, yeah, we couldn't find any evidence that these judges have any of these documents or requirements met. Thanks for asking. Oh, my God. (laughs) But they get to decide the law in this country, right? Yeah. Crazy. Even at the highest level of courts. Our legal system is no longer about checks and balances. One of the things that our founding fathers tried to do in making, you know, different branches of government and the way that those different branches relate to one another and the separation of powers. I don't know if you guys remember learning about that, but um, they tried to create this separation, this decentralization of power. But what happened is the United States went bankrupt. (laughs) got bought out. We got converted into Chattel property. And now it's almost like if that never happened, the three-party system had a real shot 
at working pretty well, but the, it needed to be independent, like truly independent and right. truly electory, if that's a word, electoral. That's where the two parties infiltrated the three branches. Yeah. But then what happened is like, we're not even, the United States isn't even American. I've talked about this a lot. Like, so it's, we're owned by Europe, different families in Europe. And then different families in Europe are largely the contributors behind the scenes, at least, who are dictating the puppets you see up there. And even down to the court level, like the judges, like you're talking about and stuff like that. So it's like, I think we had a real shot. I think it was set up really intelligently, at least the best we've ever seen up to date in human history. For sure. But then they were definitely not intending for like us to go bankrupt again and then have to get and make that deal. Like who makes that deal? And then it's a situation now where it's like, it's almost like they just circumvented the three-tiered system, if you will, of checks and balances and separation of powers. Because if you can dictate who goes into each one, it doesn't matter how good the system is set up to separate powers and avoid centralization. It still ended up resulting in the same thing. Right. That's where the two-party system really hijacked things because now you can have, you know, all Democrats sitting on the, the judge, the legislative branch, the Democrats can control the Senate and the House all at once. And then they have all three executive, legislative and judicial branches are controlled by one yeah. party. And it's happened on the right with Republicans as well. So now there isn't a balance of power. There's one power that's controlling those three branches. Yeah. And more complexity, right? Ultimately, all of this just happened because of, well, I don't want to say because of, I want to be very careful. That's a sloppy. As a result of maybe? No, not even. What I'm trying to say is that All of this was only able to be pulled off. And to this day, this is the way it works because of kind of the rise of commercialization. The fact that everything is commercial now, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've, you've mentioned that sometimes we'll say like all crimes are commercial or whatever. Like everything is a commercial entity, right? You, me, the government, the city police and Tesla and Apple, like everything's a corporation. Everything in between. So what happened though is like that made law being the name of the game. And then now it just becomes whoever has the most money there. It's just like pay to play. And like you were mentioning situations where we have like Democrats in all three bodies of government, right? And then that's obviously not fair because there's no system of checks and balances or healthy discourse or like Republicans, whatever example doesn't matter. There should be, we need a spectrum of thinking on serious issues that matter. Yeah. But really, it's kind of just like luck of the draw these days of like, who has the most money? Who's pumping the most into donations and lobbying? And then that's the party that wins at the time. And what's insane to see is that I think the far left realized this about two decades ago, a decade ago. They've realized this in the last two decades, I'll say. And what they've done is they've infiltrated big business Maybe through culture, I'm really not sure how they pulled this off, but here's through culture, absolutely. I think, yeah. So maybe through culture, because like, oh, well, I know a big one, Hollywood. Right. So Hollywood is very closely connected because if you're of status, then you care about what Will Smith is saying and what Hugh Jackman's telling. (laughs) I don't know if you saw that video. (laughs) No, I didn't. Oh God, I'm not even going to quote it. He was quoting Bill Gates and how great of a man he is. Oh, come on. It's sad. It's sad because he was, you know, Wolverine, man. Come on. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's kind of like that thing, right? You're playing a status game. If you've made it to those levels of big B business, like you're rubbing shoulders and you only really care about the opinions of wealth. You don't care what the average 
you know, population thinks. Yeah. So like you're rubbing shoulders with the big dogs and like, you know, you want, you care about what other people have status. So that's probably how they go about infiltrating. So anyway, what I'm trying to get at here is like, it seems to just be that somehow the left figured out before the right that like, and I don't care about any of this. So don't even at me in the comments. <laughs> I don't <laughs> vote. I'm not ever going to vote. I don't give a shit. I don't identify with any party. I'm just, this is where we need to be able to speak objective facts. I don't yeah. have a slant. I would never vote for either. It's mm-hmm. all the same, but I think it's apparent if you just study and you remove your bias that like the left has infiltrated big business and culture very effectively and now politics. And it's become a thing where way more donations are coming in to the left. That's all that I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Way more money is coming from the left to the left. And so we keep having more and more and more and more and more and more leftist agendas to the point where now if you put your kid in first grade at public school, they're being taught that there's 26 pronouns and nine genders. I'm being facetious, but actually, okay, well, there you go. You're being taught that there's 3000 different things that you could call yourself. And if you want to identify as a dolphin, you can. And that started with money. It started with money. And I think this is why those who don't want to do their research and who want to be the kind of black and white thinkers that we're referencing and we're trying to encourage people to not be, I think that's why people just land on the money's the root of all evil. If money weren't here, then we wouldn't have any of these problems. Like you guys are proving my point. And I just want to clarify for the 10% of you who are thinking that and who do still have that program running in your operating system. Once again, what came first, the chicken or the egg? human behavior or money, human nature or money. This is not a money problem. It's not a politics problem. It's not a Democrat problem. It's not (laughs) a Trump problem. This is human nature. Yeah. And that's why we focus on self-oriented solutions. Yeah. Because it's very much so more a conversation of transcendence than it is a conversation of anything external, a bill, a policy, a new political party, a new leader, a new business, none of that is going to save you. Mm -hmm. But you can save you right now by doing the things we're talking about. As we shift gears into the prison system to wrap this conversation up, I think it's such a great metaphor for everything we've talked about today when we understand that even the act of saying, hey, you did a wrong thing for the sake of righteousness, you must be punished for your wrongdoing, blah, blah, blah. Even that has been commercialized into something that people can make ridiculous sums of money on. And this was something, Jeremy, that I think I realized less than a year ago. It was very recent that someone somewhere told me or I heard. Did you um, see a documentary or something? It may have been that. I don't know. But I learned that all prison sentences, like when someone gets sentenced to a prison term, that somehow gets bonded and then traded on the bond market for lots and lots of money so (laughs) that we're incentivized to put people in cages. Yep. I knew that prisons themselves were privatized. I learned that under the Obama administration, but I didn't know that each and every prison sentence is also a negotiable instrument that some wealthy person somewhere is trading and making money off of. I mean, you want to talk about corruption. How much more corrupt could you get than people profiting from the imprisonment and enslavement of somebody like that to where now, look no further. Now we know why. 60% of people in prison are there for nonviolent crimes, that there was no injured party in their crime, but they're locked in prison for 10 years, sometimes a lifetime. How could we ever get to a society like that? It's because 
when everything is profit driven, you could get these kinds of systems of corruption. So I'll let you kind of continue on from here. But I just wanted to begin our conversation by pointing that out, that this is just a human nature problem, right? No evil conniving mustache twirling villain sat in a dark lair one day and said, how can we make money off of imprisoning people? Yeah. It was a gradual corruption of the system, right? Through human greed. Justification and rationalization. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to start this off with a banger. Let's go. Um, all right. So, for a long time, we had slavery in the United States. And a number of decades ago, slavery was repealed or abolished is the word they usually use. And we know, like, if we want to get into the sovereignty rabbit hole or the law side of things, we know that it wasn't abolished. Right. It was swapped out. So the yeah. chains are no longer on your wrists. You're no longer literally being whipped. The chains are now on your mind and, I mean, on your birth certificate <laughs> in a certain <laughs> way. <laughs> so instead of this, now it's on your, you know, that social birth certificate. And yeah. we've gotten a lot into that, so I'm not going to explain that. But what I want to explain, and this may be interesting as a white male, whatever the hell that means, not a fan of the whole color race thing. It's very man-made. But anyway, I'll just put it like this. Those that have contributed heavily to the state of corruption that we're in, right? The families that we tend to talk about and such, for whatever reason, they're really big on enslavement. And some of them happen to be racist. I don't know why. Obviously, I don't resonate with that. I don't think that anyone who's spiritually attuned falls for the whole like, because of the amount of melanin your skin happens to produce, <laughs> you're somehow different or less than or anything like that. That is the or, most surface. inherently bad or inherently good. Yeah, yeah, that's the most surface level, egoic, shallow approach that just screams, I'm asleep to actually yeah. believe that. Pure regard consciousness. But regardless, some do, right? It's And you have to have empathy. Like they're asleep to the illusion of separation and mm -hmm. other. And so from that lens, for whatever reason, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of power. They couldn't handle slavery actually being abolished. So what happened when slavery was abolished was, and this is gradual, and I'm not saying that it's one person or one family or anything like that, but they seem to have pulled off what can be kind of referred to as institutionalized racism. Have you heard that word, Aaron? Or like systemic racism? I sure have. Now, some of that stuff I'm not on board with. Like, there are a lot of claims out there that's like, everything is racist, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I do want to go on the record for, because I feel I have, I owe it to those of you who are going to listen to this. We can't talk about the prison system and not have me preface this, even if people are going to get mad. So they seem to have pulled off this system where the level of education, opportunity, the housing standards, even like the city planning the businesses in these areas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of those who tend to be of color, who live in what you could refer to as urban areas, these areas do not get the same, nearly the same funding when it comes to schools. They don't have nearly the same amount of businesses or job opportunities. 
And if you take away someone's education and opportunity for advancement, you create this self-fulfilling prophecy where we see low-income urban neighborhoods and the people who grow up in them, they tend to largely, this is just statistics, statistically speaking, they tend to be of color. We see them turning to gangs and illegal means of making money. Because if you're born into these situations, you're born into these environments, you don't really see another way out, right? It's a matrix, just like all the other matrixes we've been talking about. Exactly. And what I'm explaining is that I'm not saying it's one person, it's not one family, it's not one party. I'm just saying that those at the highest levels who make the donations, who dictate the lobbying, et cetera, et cetera, they seem to not want a fair playing field. They seem to not want an even playing field. And so there's a situation where if you are born in an urban neighborhood and you are not white in skin tone, you have the hand stacked against you from birth. You have a much higher chance of being incarcerated. You have a much higher chance of death before 18. You have a much higher chance of dropping out before you even get your GED, let alone a conversation around college and how the hell you would even afford that. And so these system kind of perpetuates itself. And I just wanted to lay that all out there because I think people need to understand. And I don't think a lot of people that carry my same skin hue do understand this. And it is a very, very real thing. I'll put it this way. If you're born with darker skin color in an urban neighborhood, you're not meant to make it out. And I think that's the preface needed to talk about the prison system. Because Aaron, Mm -hmm. it is not just a slavery of the people, but it is actually for, I'm not sure why, it seems to be much more a targeted agenda on certain races. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the statistics, it's heavily African-American and then Latino. Right. It's very minimal white. It is heavily an agenda to set back and hinder an entire, entire races or demographics socially, economically, culturally, traumatically. I mean, you know, there's, there's so much trauma in what I'm describing. You're born into that environment. The highest thing you can aspire for is, you know, jewelry and cash and some guns and that very lifestyle that is glamorized is the very thing that sends you in to prison. And when you're in prison, the percentage of inmates who get out, who end up back in jail is yeah, it's nuts. bananas. It's crazy. Because once again, they're paid per bed they fill. It's just like real estate. They are paid per filled bed. So it doesn't do them any good commercially to have less people sleeping in their cages on their beds. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly like real estate, where if you're a real estate investor, they refer to it as doors. How many doors do you have? Slang way of saying how many tenants, right? So if someone's like, I have a hundred doors, then they have roughly a hundred tenants, maybe a bit more if some of them are married or something. But anyway, that same way, that's how you kind of look at things commercially and you would quantify your residual income based on how many doors you have in real estate. Prisons are privately owned, like Aaron said, and they are literally, I mean, it's a corporation. It's literally a corporation. It's a private corporation. And when you own that, you're buying, I mean, part of it's you're buying real estate, 
you're buying land, but you're also buying inventory and you're buying the ability to house and then you're buying staff. And every person in there, I believe it's the government pays you. So there's sub, I don't know the correct terminology, but almost like subleasing or like they have different commercial agreements where every bed filled, there's an amount that the prison makes per year per bed filled. And so if you want to be a profitable prison, you need more beds filled. It's pretty simple. Yeah. So now there's an incentive on both sides. There's an incentive to fill the prison. There's an incentive to keep the prison full. And there's an incentive on from the prison owner's side. Not that I really think they're the ones pulling strings. Usually the people that own prisons aren't like the 1%. They're more like the 10%. But anyway, and then there's an incentive on government side. And that's what we call a conspiracy. And so it's, you know, I just wanted to get into that. I know that's kind of might be depressing to some people, but as me and Aaron are going to get into after we finish up talking about the prison side, you know, this is shit. I don't know exactly how old it is, but we could basically just group this in with almost all of these other systems that we've explained. Like they're not that old. The concept of a prison is extremely old, but the concept of for-profit prisons is not very old. Exactly like the birth certificate, exactly like the creation of the Federal Reserve, exactly like the US going bankrupt, social security numbers, paying into social security and Medicare and all of these other systems. This concept is not very old. And so just like everything else that we're talking about, it's important to understand that this is part of the last hundred year cycle. And as we enter into the tail end of this fourth turning, and we have a real opportunity for innovation, disruption, the toppling of existing systems, the creation of new systems, we have a real opportunity. And this is one of the big systems worth mentioning. Hopefully it's a system that none of you ever have to have anything to do with, but it is a regular part of some people's reality. And so it's important to mention because the legal system is like the yin yang to the prison system. Right. That's how one feeds the other, right? Like we wouldn't have a prison system if we didn't have a legal system and we wouldn't have a legal system if we didn't have a political system. So right. those three, it kind of works like that. The Down political stream. system elects the, the legal system and who's who the judges are, what the judges are and policies are going to be. Those dictate who gets incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And so they're in this little trifecta and all of them are incentivized to continue doing what they've been doing. So that's kind of the problem where the solutions cannot be these surface level solutions. Yeah. We have to think deeper about these things. Yeah, because the basic problem we're touching on in all of these systems, all these different matrices we've talked about, is that we're still at a place in our collective evolution where profit for harm is something that people are happy to do, right? They're happy to look the other way, that they're going to harm someone or a group of people greatly if they're going to make a lot of money doing it. Easy to turn a blind eye to that. It's a self-awareness problem. It's a spiritual problem. And even talking about the prison system and the fact that minorities are imprisoned at a much higher percentage. There's so much that goes into that. We could dissect there about how that is also a huge part of the control mechanism that when we get these, like, obviously we're not saying that there isn't racism. Of course there is, there's everything. (laughs) But what we're saying is it's way deeper than what you think. When you just try to paint a big problem with one broad brush, well, it's, it's just systemic racism. The only reason minorities are incarcerated higher than whites is it's because all these white people are just evil. That's it. And it's like, yo, do you think that people hate the color of your skin more than they love making money? 
you got to be out of your mind. You got to be out of your mind. There's nothing someone loves more than money. They'll bless their enemy if it gives them money. They don't care. They want to make money and have power. And so dividing classes and races is a great way to have power. And so isn't it extremely convenient for the wealthy elites that they get to divide us from one another loving our brothers and sisters, regardless of skin color, because they can just imprison one race of people more than the other. And they'll create this argument back and forth of, well, it's unfair because you're racist. No, you're racist. And we're pointing the finger at each other. And the elites that unfortunately despise us all equally are laughing (laughs) all the way to the bank. Like they don't actually care about your skin color. They care about making money off of you and your ignorance. So it's like, yes, there are problems like racism and even homophobia. Like, sure, we can talk about all these things. We need truth and righteousness in every domain. Absolutely. But we won't solve these bigger umbrella issues that we've been covering in this series so far unless we get really honest and stop doing this so much and start doing this, which is, you know, what the point of this whole series is, is like, how can we empower you with not just knowledge, but courage and inspiration to really start engaging with the world in a self-responsible, truthful, and empowered way. That's how we make changes to the prison system, the political system, our economic system, our monetary system. It's actually just one solution, which is I take my freedom back first. Yeah. You brought up one thing that I'm going to touch on before we kind of transition, wrap this up, which is extremely important. And so I don't want it to be glanced over. Creating division amongst the classes. If you guys remember in episode two, our last subseries episode we put out, I use the different examples of entertaining, of it being as old as the human story for those in power to use, you know, like I use the example of Rome using yeah. cheap wine and women and violence to keep the people distracted and lulled so that they didn't overthrow them. This is old as time as well. You have to point out people's differences. Because you understand they have the underlying primal drivers of tribalism. We are tribal animals. And you can play that against people if they're not conscious. If you can get people to rep this party and this party, then you can separate them. And if you can separate them, then you decentralize their power. (laughs) See how that came full circle? So they've learned to centralize their power. They're all on the same team. They decentralize our power because we're a Chiefs fan instead of a Redskins fan or whatever it may be. And we think we're literally don't like those people because they root for a different sports team. We're a Republican and they're a Democrat. So we're literally like, I would never let them in my house because they have different views than me. Or the oldest day example that Aaron used, because they have a different skin color than me. I don't like them. These are all different variations of the same thing, but we don't learn the lesson. (laughs) People allow themselves to continue to be manipulated. And so what I wanted to kind of tie this into is just an understanding that this is yet just another tactic while we're on the conversation of like racism Mm -hmm. and systemic racism. This is just another tactic. And there's a reason the media pumps it. And like during 2020, right? Like during the whole Black Lives Matter thing, which we know was funded by Soros and tied into Clinton. And we won't even get into that. But we know that a lot of that was fake. And there's been some really good documentaries about that that you guys can check out. I won't get into that. But 
it's being funded by one of the wealthiest European banking cartel families, Soros, ever, who's also had his hand in Germany. Have you seen those clips? I have, yeah. When he was a kid and he said he loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like literally, this is the type of human we're talking about. Yeah. That is the person funding BLM. You have to ask yourself a question before you go out there and protest. I am all for equality. Who isn't? Some aren't, but besides you know, the elites. no one I associate with. And I've never really experienced like real racism in person. I've never met someone who's actually like me neither. Truly a scumbag. Like I think it's fed to us way more to kind of like keep it more alive and keep us more divided is what I'm getting at. But so kind of the point I just wanted to make here is you have to ask yourself with a guy with Soros's background, what, how might he benefit from funding BLM, which is basically, and the media, right? He's big in the media. He owns different aspects of media. So then they pump the stories, pump the stories, right? About protests and burning and looting and systemic racism and just the way that they'll use clickbait and the way that they phrase their headlines and statistics. Sometimes they'll make it sound like they make things sound a lot worse than they are. And it adds to another piece of the fourth turning, which is not only is there peak division between left and right and classes and everything, but it's also racial tensions. Mm-hmm. And so it's like every one of those boxes is getting checked in. For those of you who are interested in this conversation, I would definitely encourage you to just kind of, number one, ask yourself that. Number two, look more into some of the stuff that we've talked about in regards to this conversation about a race, which is really just a conversation about distraction and division. Because if you can divide people, you can decentralize their power. Now they won't team up together for a common cause. If they're too busy fighting each other, right? Like one side's like, you're gaslighting me. And the other side's like, you're not understanding me. You're not getting it. Maybe you're not smart enough type thing. They're not even speaking the same language. You can't even agree on first principles. You can't even agree on a gender, right? You can't even agree on some of these things. It's going to be really hard to come together, unify, and make like have large groups of people act in their own best interest. That's probably the easiest way to say it. Yep. When we unite under a common interest, we become very powerful very quickly. And there's and they nothing know that. that they can do about it. Yes. Yeah. And they know so that. All, so all they can do is divide. We said this last episode, like a government's first threat and always their number one threat on their awareness is their own people. We got to keep our own people from overthrowing us. Otherwise, we can't keep this power. So it's like you have two prisoners in a jail cell. One's white, one's black. And this prison warden comes by every day and feeds them a bowl of slop. And he gives the black guy a tiny little bowl. And he gives the white guy a a bowl that's like three times the size. And then they just start arguing with each other. Your bowl's bigger than mine. No, shut up. I didn't. I'm not entitled to this. He just gave it to me. It's not my fault. Yes, it is. And the prison warden's like, good little slaves good little slaves. That's what has happened in our country, right? So it's not that there aren't these problems is what we're saying. It's that there's a much bigger issue behind them, a much more insidious problem behind them. That was literally, you're like, that's what will unite us. You're the king of simple visual analogies. (laughs) (laughs) I do love a good analogy. That's perfect. So yeah, so it's literally like you drop the food in front of them and you instantly drop their consciousness. Because that's really what you're doing is like, You're baiting them into the lowest levels of consciousness where you buy into duality and you're only looking at the surface. 
Well said. Whereas when you're at a higher level of consciousness and you get different size of bowls, you either don't give a flying fuck or you literally offer your brother the food. It's like, it doesn't matter to me. But when you drop in, then all of a sudden you're identifying with their meat suit or what they're wearing or their social status or how much money they have or their political preference or their gender or whatever, like all these things are like such like low level energetic things to get caught up on. And yet look how caught up we are on them. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a consciousness issue. It's always a spiritual issue. It's always a consciousness issue. And the good news is consciousness is rising on this planet. Yes, it is. We've talked about a lot of dark realities maybe, But all these dark realities are slowly coming into the light. You know, the sun is rising on this planet from a consciousness perspective. And so this podcast right now is evidence of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect segue here. So we're going to bring it home, guys. And I know we mentioned that there were nine systems, but we actually kept one system up our sleeve for you till the end. And so we want it to be undisputedly clear that nothing in this series makes either of us feel negative, cynical, or nihilistic about the world. Not only is this not a neutral conversation, I actually perceive this as a positive conversation if such thing exists. I guess it depends on your perspective. And that ties into this 10th system that I want to kind of lay out for you guys. And this is the most important system in your entire life and always will be. And it has nothing to do with the external. So those are nine external systems that you could say the one macro system is comprised of and it breaks up into nine systems. I'm sure there's more. Those are at least big ones. Mm -hmm. But the 10th system, the system that all of these other systems have in common is your attention your attention. If you think about and you tried to at the highest level in a few words, write down on a piece of paper, what is there a war on right now? There's a few ways you could say it. You could say there's a war on consciousness. You could say there's a war on your attention. All of these systems, you want to talk about the healthcare system and the propaganda they put out and how they try to tell you what to think. You're not allowed to look at other sides. You want to talk about the food or the fluoride in your water and what that does to your literal attention, like in a literal way, what you eat will control your attention. Or you Mm -hmm. want to talk about the media and how the unconscious messages combined with the feeling states that they put you in instantly access your unconscious mind and program you to believe certain things. Every single one of these systems is competing for your attention. So if you want to have a real conversation like me and Aaron are trying to have with you right now, if you want to have a real conversation about freedom, freedom starts with your attention. Yep. If you're placing your attention on the wrong things, you're going to find yourself enslaved and you don't even need to be in the prison system. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if you place your attention on empowering things, things to expand your self-awareness, things to up-level your consciousness, your vibration, things to detoxify, to heal, to love both yourself, your neighbor. If this is where your attention is placed, these systems you start to realize don't really affect you, at least not in the way that society and the media would like you to believe. And that is not to say that racism isn't real, that inflation isn't happening, that there's not poison in our food. That's not to say that, but it's to say that Your only real shot of empowering yourself starts and ends 
with where you're putting your attention. So the number one thing as we kind of get into the conclusion and and outro of this episode is understanding that what they want from you, they don't want your blood. They don't even necessarily want your money. They want your attention. And you're the only one in charge of that. If you don't turn on the TV, they can't program you. Mm-hmm. Depending what accounts you follow on social media, they can't program you. Depending what you put in your body, they can't poison you. Depending what you shoot into your arm and your children, they can't poison you that way. And on and on. It's all a game of attention and then intention when you're talking about yourself and how to go about co-creating your reality. So I'll open the floor up to you, Aaron, if you want to say a few words about that, and then then we'll kind of address the fourth turning vibes and close things out. Yeah. Well, you said it really well that we have these nine systems we've covered over the last three episodes, nine systems of the matrix. They all feed on one system, which is the only internal system of these. And that's you. We've all heard the phrase, where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So there you go, right? They want your energy, which comes through your attention. And this is why we talked about when we have talked about, you know, how money is actually valued based on human labor. Mm-hmm. We're the value. We're the creditors. We're the real currency here because our energy makes everything happen. Your energy, your attention is the most precious commodity on planet earth. And that's how they get your money is by getting your attention. So this is why we see these huge campaigns, censorship and all this stuff, banning, deplatforming. They're trying to tell you where you can or can't place your attention. And isn't it funny how those places always end up serving the big corporations and institutions, right? So we can see it's a war for your attention. And this is why all wealth really comes from within. I know this is what Jeremy teaches. They could steal your fiat currencies. They could steal your assets. They could steal your home. They could steal anything physically from you, anything external, but they can't steal your self-awareness, your self-love, your self-empowerment. They can't ever steal your knowledge. They can't ever steal the skills and abilities you have. So when we work on ourselves, we become internally wealthy, which has to and must eventually become external wealth at some point, usually very quickly, because these are things that can't be stolen. They can't steal your attention. They can only trick you into giving it to them in certain ways. How do they do that? These nine systems, right? These nine systems we've been over, specifically the three today, are the most powerful ways that the matrix steals your attention. And you take your attention back by becoming more self-aware about where you're placing it, right? And I think, Jeremy, probably the easiest thing we could do is since we know that dividing the people is the easiest way to conquer the people, and this is the way they do everything, pay attention to where you're placing your energy, your attention on anything negative. The negativity is the most insidious way that they grab your attention because negativity is like a magnet, right? It's like it absorbs you into it because it's so powerful and you can get sucked into something negative so quick. And then of course they can tell you what to do from there and, and who to hate and who's the enemy. So it's like, look, there's some truth to the good vibes only concept of that. I only want to invest. Let's put it that way. I want to invest in good vibes and positive things because I know that my investments eventually have to bear fruit at some point. And just like if I'm always making bad investments in the stock market, I'm going to lose a lot of money. If I'm always making negative investments of attention, I'm going to have a really negative state of mind. So place your attention as much as possible, as much as you're aware on positive beneficial things, things that are 
good and virtuous and create happiness and unity in the world, love, forgiveness, positive messages, right? When you do that, they can't divide you from your brother and sister. They can't divide you from another if you're not dwelling on negative things. That's why literally the studies have shown this, right? 90% at least of all, whether it's newspapers, website articles, or mainstream media, 90% of all news is negative news. Now, the question is, do you think that these news outlets would produce so much negativity if it wasn't being consumed? I bet they wouldn't. I bet you if they put out a negative news article and it gets two clicks and nobody wants to read it, and then they put out a positive and it gets a million clicks, that news outlet just wants to make money, right? They're just going to put out the news that gets clicks. And so the reason they do, we can say, you evil, you know, mainstream media outlets, you post Mm -hmm. 90% evil news. Well, that's because you consume it. (laughs) Exactly. You're co-creating that reality with them through your attention. Yeah. And that's why we've had such a focus on practicality in this series and understanding that we are both the higher self love and light aspects. And also we have lower level animal drives and they are only interested in targeting your amygdala, your lower self, your limbic brain, thousands of years old, primal. That's the thing that reacts. It reacts way before your conscious mind can compute. It reacts. Yeah. It's the fight or flight that it's keeps you alive, not to be demonized, but also they know what they're doing. And so you have to, you know, I'll say we have to really gain control and a better way of saying it is build a relationship with our lower self and our lower drives rather than denying them. That's why I sometimes, you know, make my jokes or about the love and light community because it's like gaslighting yourself and denying your flaws is a fast track to dissociating from the human existence. To be human is to be flawed mm-hmm. and that's the beauty in it. So as we bring this full circle and kind of conclude, I want to give you guys my perspective. Now that you've heard all of this, what the hell would you do after learning all this, Jeremy? Or what did you do after learning all this? Or what do you suggest we do after hearing all of this? Me and Aaron have a hunch that some of you might be feeling cynical, pressed, or maybe just sad or mad or whatever, whatever your response to it is after hearing all of this and totally get it for a certain person. That's going to be totally normal. But here's the thing. Everything that we've just laid out has occurred within this last hundred-ish year, fourth turning cycle. You have a first turning, a second turning, a third turning, and a fourth turning. Each one generally lasts 20 to 30 years, so they comprise of a total of 80 to 120 years, typically. Now, we're currently nearing the end of our full one, two, three, four section turning, which started, we had World War II. We won World War II. We had something called the signing of the Bretton Woods Agreement, where the world's powers, NATO, came together, hashed out, all right, US, you're going to be able to be the world's reserve currency because you won the war. All of the nation's global debt is going to be denominated in US dollars. That's going to allow you to devalue and print the shit out of your currency. It gave us a lot of unfair advantages, if you will, because look, that's what happens if you win a war. You get unfair advantages, especially commercially. So, and then they hashed up like, here are the territories and here's going to be who's involved in NATO and here's going to be who's not part of the the squad and all this stuff, right? So that was the Bretton Woods Agreement, 1945. So you could say that that was the start of the first turning. Why? 
Because when you study fourth turnings like me and Aaron have been talking about, which is just this little 20 to 30 year end period of the whole secular cycle, what you find is that they almost always end in either war, catastrophe, or revolution and revolt. There's really only like three generally. It's rarely ever peaceful. And that's very applicable to today. But I bring that up because Mm -hmm. we had World War II. So that ended that fourth turning. And then we started a first turning. And during first turnings, that is kind of like the closest humans get to heaven on earth. First turnings are when money and opportunity is abundant. Innovation is at its peak. There are new ideas and systems and companies and ideologies and everything. There's new everything popping up in a first turning. Whereas in a fourth turning, you're seeing the tail end last stages of old ideas. I don't know if you ever think about that, Aaron, but like it's 2023 and we're playing out Rockefeller's ideas long after he's dead. It's just kind of a weird concept when you realize that this isn't actually the government doing it and they're all just puppets who are so zoomed in just trying to make a quick buck that they're just happy to be used and abused and then pass Mm -hmm. along. It's like this was really only done by a a few families and it's a lot of this is just 120 years old. And it's like, we're just like playing out over and over and over really old ideas. That's all that it is. We're repeating old ideas like Groundhog Day and we're expecting a new result. And so like from that view, the solution is really simple. It's like, it's exactly like the Einstein quote that Aaron shared. You cannot solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that you caused it or that caused it. So Mm -hmm. it's like, that was a different time. There was a certain level of consciousness of the people that created these rules and these systems, and we've just been acting them out. And that tends to bring us down towards their level of consciousness the more we act it out. And we've been experiencing that. But also now it's 2023 and we're going to see an opportunity likely this decade. I do not have a crystal ball, but I love studying history and macro and it very much so looks like the whole fourth turning is going to end this decade before 2030. So it's going to be a very volatile decade, a very interesting decade, but also for sure, there has never been a more important time in history with more opportunity, with more abundance and with more, I'll put it this way. If you're listening to this right now, you have never had a fairer and more realistic shot to participate in what the next 100 to 150 years looks like ever. Social media changed everything. Anyone can now have a voice. Anyone can now build a business. Anyone can now access ridiculous amounts of wealth through their phone. Mm -hmm. There are no more excuses. So that it's kind of like this concept that Aaron teaches, like, um, I don't know if it's the law of one or which one is it, but I've heard you talk about it, where the light and the darkness are of the same magnitude. You cannot increase, bring more light into your life or into yourself without also excavating the equivalent of that amount of darkness within yourself, right? I'm probably butchering it, but that's kind of the idea. It's the same thing here. So while since the early 1900s, when all of this seemed to have been put in place, hell of a time to be alive, uh, (laughs) and now we're still living that out and we're at the tail end of it, while it may seem like from one perspective, 
it's a cause for being cynical and like, oh, we've gotten so far away from how this country was meant to be. And we're just heading towards totalitarian AI singularity state and all these common threads, especially in the spiritual space. It can seem like that. That's if you're focusing on the dark. Remember, attention can seem like that. But at the same time, there has been an exactly equivalent amount of light brought in. To give you some examples, the internet made it so you can now look up by name exactly who's oppressing you. You can go research all of this information. You can learn how to build a $50 million business for free on YouTube. You can learn information like this, that our ancestors would have literally died to get conveyed to their loved ones. Yeah. There's so many examples here where it's like, this is not a message of cynicism or pessimism. This is a message of, if you've studied history, you understand that there's a 20-year-ish period every century, 100 years, that is the most important and impactful two decades out of that entire 100 years for dictating how the next 100 years looks. And we're in that time. So we don't share all of this with you guys to scare you, to traumatize you, to give you anxiety. We acknowledge that for some of you, it may do that. But our intention is letting you know that if you are, for lack of a better term, one of us or desiring to be one of us, we need more leaders with higher levels of consciousness, with a love for humanity and a desire to improve this planet, we need more of us on the front lines. Yeah. And this next decade-ish period, there's a reason why Aaron is here right now, and he wasn't here in the 1400s or the 1900s. There's a reason he's incarnated right here, right now, and he happens to have a massive YouTube channel. There's a reason I was born in 1992. And the book, The Fourth Turning, it talks about the different archetypes. I don't know if you remember that part, Aaron, but it talks about the different archetypes that each generation tends to raise. So it's like if you were the child of someone born in the first turning, you tend to represent the artist archetype. And if you were coming of age, so your teenage-ish years during a fourth turning, you tend to represent the hero archetype. And people uh, yeah. who are our age, Aaron, represent the hero archetype. And that Big is time. the person yeah. who you were referencing with that quote, with the four, the four stages that repeat. Yeah, We are what I refer to as the chosen ones. It is up to us to create what the next century looks like long after we're even here. And maybe longer, who knows? Things seem to be shifting, but at least the next century. And so this is not a time for victim consciousness. It's not a time for pointing fingers. It's not a time for division or thinking, actually thinking that someone outside of you is different from you and you couldn't fathom how they are. It's not a time for those energetics. This is yeah. a time for loving yourself so that you can love others, like actually love them. And so that you can bring that love into your day-to-day -day decisions and energetics and how you co-create in the world. And when we can live from that place, we stand a real shot at influencing these new systems that are starting to arise and are going to continue to arise at a more accelerated fashion over this decade. Now, it's 2023 right now. I can assure you all that the world is going to look extremely different in 2030. We're going to have AI, we're going to have robots, most 
40-ish percent of jobs are going to be gone. A lot is going to be different in the world. We're probably not going to have any sort of fiat currency. I mean, a lot of change. You might not see gas cars around anymore. I mean, those are just surface level examples. Like who knows what's going to change with the deeper levels of like the things that impact culture and the social problems and the economy, who knows, right? But one thing is for sure, consciousness dictates all of that. And so the levels of consciousness that created the fourth turning that we're now concluding, right? That entire secular cycle, first, second, third, fourth, those levels of consciousness, that was back when we were treating women like shit. You're not allowed to speak slavery. You can just kill someone if you want their stuff. I mean, that was the wild west that created the system we're still using. So I want you to think about their concept of morality. I want you to think about their level of self-awareness or their level of consciousness. You know, you do kinesthetic testing on John D. Rockefeller (laughs) using, (laughs) using David Hawkins methods. Where is he coming in at? Well, that literally created our education system, our healthcare system, our workforce system, the oil, all the stuff that we talked about, all these different systems, pharmaceuticals, and we're still using them. We're still using these low level energetic systems. So if you're a spiritual being in this world, having a human experience right now, you probably have felt what I'm talking about. You can feel what it feels like to deal with, you know, you go into the bank and you're just like, ugh, feels icky. You have to get some meds from your doctor. Ugh, doesn't feel right. Whatever it may be, your body is communicating with you, right? It's a misalignment of consciousness. And so Mm. what I'm all about and what I've been preaching since I started this channel is we need more conscious millionaires. We need more people speaking up. And we need the reason why money is so important. And then I'll pass it off to you, Aaron. This is my final thing. Why is this called the Conscious Wealth Show? Because it is not enough to be in peak levels of consciousness. If you do not have money or at least influence, you're not going to be able to affect change in this 3D world, at least at this during this time in the human story. Money talks. If you want to influence real change, you need money. Whether that's to start your own company to influence change, i.e. the Elon route, or to be able to buy a Twitter and bring back freedom of speech, that took billions of dollars, 40 billion to be exact. We want to talk about this shit, but we don't put our money where our mouth is. So whether you want to go about it the Elon way or the more uh, popular way, which is no one knows who you are, you just make anonymous donations and then policy gets passed. That's a big influence in society too. Regardless of how it's done, you have to have money and resources and influence or you're not really going to contribute towards what the next hundred years looks like. And that's at least in a 3D perspective. I'm not denying that each of our consciousness play a role in the collective consciousness and that elevating that is contributing. I'm not saying that that's not also true, but in a 3D conversation, which this has been a little bit more tangible 3D stuff, if you're concerned about the world your kids are going to grow up in, there has never been a more important time to start A, practicing freedom of speech and speaking your truth and the truth out loud because it gives others the power to do the same or the freedom to do the same. B, there has never been a more important time to build wealth. As you guys should have seen, now that we're wrapping up this series, how did all of these nine systems get put in place? 
They got put in place by people with a lot of wealth. You've never heard a story about an oppressive system that was put in place by poor people, did you? (laughs) You've never heard it. And that is why, though I am what I would consider very connected to God and my entire life is an act of devotion to something greater than myself, I am also always an advocate of money and wealth. It's important. If money got us into this problem, we have to start thinking more in that way as a community. And unfortunately, the most moral, selfless, high vibration beings I've ever met, they tend to not give a shit about money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's a problem. It's one of my big intentions with this podcast is like, I speak you guys' language. I get you. I was you. But also, we need money to have a seat at the table. If you want to contribute to the next hundred years, we can vote with our dollars. That's really mm-hmm. the only real voting. That's the yeah. only, I can't believe we missed that one. That's the only real voting is where do your dollars go? If we want pharma companies to collapse, we need to get off of pharma. You don't mm-hmm. pay them, they go away. Imagine that. That's <laughs> the real voting, but we need money. So I'm going to wrap up my rant there. Look into The Fourth Turning, guys. Excellent book. We'll put it on the screen right now. It's called The Fourth Turning. They wrote a few books. They studied demographic trends over the last 500 to 1,000 years. A lot of wisdom to be extracted from there. And just understanding the levels of consciousness and everything around surrounding that. And we're in such a fascinating time where it's never been more important, the levels of consciousness that you're operating at, and then pairing that with building wealth and having prioritizing money. So that you, in these high levels of consciousness, can almost like act that out in the world. That's really what it is, right? It's like, we don't really live in a world anymore where you can just like be Jesus walking on the streets and do miracles and then society will change. It's like the modern day version of that, and this is just my opinion, modern day version of that is like, you you can be in those Christ consciousness levels of consciousness, right? Like non-duality, like complete bliss, et cetera. But an extremely effective way to transfer that and almost like imprint it, like tattoo it permanently into society is that you'll almost need like money as the conduit to turn that consciousness into a system. And that will take money. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah, no, I I totally want to put an exclamation on this as we close, because this is such a huge point and the best point to finish this conversation on, I think, you know, we're all here right now listening to this podcast because Consciousness on this planet is evolving and we feel that something is gravely wrong with the way our planet is right now. The systems that run our planet, it doesn't resonate anymore. And for a long time, it did resonate, right? So like you said, we're still using all of these hundred plus year old Rockefeller designed systems. And now there's such a pushback on these systems because our consciousness has evolved, right? And we need to create new systems that reflect our level of consciousness. Exactly. Because it's just not a match anymore. So we're going to be doing that in this next hundred years where people like you and I and anyone watching have the ability to generate wealth and create new systems that benefit people. This is like the main point that the law of one that I teach from a lot really tries to deliver home is that if you want to evolve into the higher densities of consciousness and really graduate to a, a greater level after this lifetime, you have to learn to be of service while you're here. That's what Ross says over and over again. Being of service to others is the way to polarize, to raise your consciousness so that you can go to the fourth density in the next lifetime. And that means that all the service we do is a service to ourselves and to others. 
Whereas the systems we are operating under now are service to self-based, meaning they were created by someone or group of people who wanted to serve themselves at the cost of everyone else, Yeah. right? That's what needs to start shifting. So how does that shift? To me, it's exactly what you're saying, Jeremy, is number one, we got to get rid of this notion that money is evil, inherently not spiritual, only evil people want money. We're going to keep seeing our planet like this until we change that mindset. Money's not evil, and it's not only for people who want power over others. Absolutely not. There's a verse in the Bible somewhere that says, um, what the enemy intends for evil, the Lord will use for good. Yep. So it's like, we just have to realize that money is an absolutely neutral device. And what way can we be of more service to the world than using money for good and for service and to benefit and to evolve humanity forward? If each one of us begins to act today on our highest excitement, our highest inspiration, what do you feel called by in your heart? What do you feel a calling to do in this life? Just pursue that breadcrumb trail, right? Of your highest excitement. And I promise you, as you do it, the universe will lay down the next step in front of you, like rolling out a red carpet. If you follow what you're, what excites you and inspires you to contribute to humanity, the universe is designed for this purpose, right? The law of the universe is oneness. So when you're operating from oneness, you are joining yourself with the inherent natural laws of the universe, which say that giving and receiving are one. Everything you put out has to come back to you. So let's maybe even not worry about how do I make money and more so how do I create value for humanity? And I promise you, if you start creating value for humanity, you're going to have all the money you need to keep creating more value. And to me, Jeremy, that's how we build the new earth. That's how we build an enlightened civilization as we stop outsourcing everything to giant corporations. They just do our banking for us, do our schooling for us, do our government for us, do our everything for us. And we say, no, we're going to do it. We're going to create our own systems that we can all use together and systems that actually benefit everybody and not just the top of the pyramid. And then all of a sudden, we can start moving into a world that reflects our current level of consciousness. So it has to start with you and I becoming empowered and saying, I'm going to do what I feel called to do. Because if there's an excitement, an inspiration, a passion in me to do anything, I know that's from the universe. All passion, all purpose, all calling comes from the universe. If I feel it, I just have to say yes to it. And if I'm faithful to say yes to what's inside of me, the universe will do the rest for me. And anyone who's really successful, especially in the conscious space, I know I can say this. I know Jeremy would say this is like, I didn't really plan this out so much. I just kind of followed my excitement and the next step was always there for me to take, right? Yeah. I was recently telling some of my students that I've come to learn that when you're, I need a better word for this, but I'll use the phrase spiritual entrepreneur, but I need to clarify what I mean by that an entrepreneur who is just using business as a vehicle to serve the creator, mm -hmm. that you never really know what you're doing because <laughs> you're not doing it. So yep. he was asking a question, you know, like someone newer comes into the group, they're seeing like, wow, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in here kind of being inspired to go that direction, but there's fear there. And he was asking like for advice on the feeling of, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I just kind of came back to him and let him know like plot twist. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not, it's like that whole I concept, right? It's like, well, you're not really the one doing it. And that's really the point that Aaron's getting at is if you can look at the soul as a way to serve divinity, because ultimately that's the only reason we're even caring to have a conversation about 
improving the planet, right? Then business can just be a vehicle or a conduit through which you serve the the creator. And it isn't really about you. It's not really about you. And that's why each of us are given particular, like Aaron said, it's just kind of following. Well, usually the cliche term is follow your bliss, but it's it's very much so like that. And that's different for everyone. And um, so I love that you brought it back to value rather than money because, yeah, the money's the effect, right? And the cause yeah. is desiring to serve. And yeah. that's been your path. That's been my path. And yeah, it's not really it's not really about the money at all. But what ends up happening is you find that you develop so many invaluable skills and also character traits that are priceless that would allow you to do it all over again much faster. That um, no one can steal. If it were taken away from you, those are actually the timeless assets that we were talking about. But yeah. then you also develop influence, which I believe to be far more effective and appealing and valuable than money. Because if you have influence, mm-hmm. you can create You'll always money. have money. Yeah, easy. Create money. But if you have like money, you can't just create influence. People, for example, we're starting to see, for example, like the Bill Gates stuff backfire, right? So like now no one wants to listen to him as he's like totally flip-flopped on his stance on vaccines. And so it's like, that's a great example of like, you have money, but you read his comments about anything he ever posts on Twitter or anywhere about the vaccines. And every single comment is just like, why is a man with this physique telling us about giving mm-hmm. us health advice. I'm sure you've seen yep. that lately. Oh yeah. It's like, that's an example of like, he tried to buy influence in the medical realm and everyone's like, yo, what are you doing? It's just yep. not your realm, like stay in your lane. Money um, can't buy trust or respect. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. What a powerful conversation. This was definitely my favorite episode thus far. And this was a blast, it, man. I thought it might be a, there's, for those of you who are still, still with us, uh, <laughs> there was a reason we said, Make sure to stick around for the third episode. You know, some people drop off. They won't watch three episodes split up, but we saved most of the gems for this episode. Yeah. If you're listening to this while you're at the gym or something, you know, you started on Monday with this podcast. Now it's Wednesday. Good job for sticking with us. (laughs) Hope we made it worth it for you. (laughs) For sure. To emphasize what you said, thanks for watching. Please do contribute to this conversation because that's why we're doing this. We want to get this conversation more into the collective. So, The more you guys do to have these conversations with your friends and family and even just on the internet, uh, I think the better. So we got a, a lot more fun conversations coming up for you guys. So stay tuned. Awesome. And we'll see you in our next episode, guys. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.